Welcome to the Adam Dunn Show. That was extended version. We don't want you to smoke genetically modified ganja. We want you to smoke the real thing. We want you to smoke the natural herb. Some call it marijuana. Cheesy. Some call it oh, sensimedia. Some call it lamb's bread. And some people call it... Welcome to another edition of the Adam Dunn Show. I am your host, Adam Dunn. And I'm your squeaky co-host, Mitch Shinasa. And for a moment in time, we'll be joined with the kid who's got to go slang some rosin. Slanging rosin. Rosin slang. Rosin slang. Sorry about the delay there. We had some weird technical. We had Adam delays and then technical difficulties with live stream that uh, remain inexplicable and resolve themselves when we came up with a solution. And then I just dropped the connection to the phone that made the song stop. So that was actually really. That was awesome. That was the only man-made incident. So we bad. We We blame you. Entirely for everything. Blame you entirely. It's cool though. Used to it. Cool show today. We have Tim Blake on the show, who is the main guy from Emerald Cup, which is turning founder of Emerald Cup. Founder and is turning into. I'd say the Emerald Cup is turning into the most like huge, the the most like need to be at event more than the other ones. I've never been. I know, and neither have I. And I'm going this year. Speak of the devil. Is that the man himself? It says unknown phone number. So let's take it and see who it is. Hello there. Who we got on the show? Hi, this is Phoebe. I'm just calling on behalf of Tim just to double check the number. Oh, good. Yep, well, it works the perfectly. So we're doing the intros right now, and then uh, have him call back in in about 10 minutes. Does that work? Okay, you got it. We can leave him on there. We could also leave you on here. It doesn't matter. Super static. You can just give a call back in 10 Give minutes. a call back yeah. in 10 Perfect. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Thanks. Thanks, Tail. Um, so, yeah, Emerald Cup is, like I said, becoming the most sort of need-to-be event just because of the fact that it's, I mean, it's in the epicenter of where it really all began as far as our modern cannabis world and as California as as anybody can who knows is the epicenter of the outdoor growing scene and this is mostly light dip and outdoor and there's no indoor which is awesome I mean it's that's, all organic it's all, all sun grown yep. they all have no to solvent pass their entries. pesticide tests yeah. and all that yeah, stuff so before it's, it can it's, even be entered it's all these and the entry numbers are phenomenal are like they did there's 900 so over 900 well it's crazy year. because that's not how it started either I remember when I, I heard about it after the first year I was like that's an interesting little event it was you small know? and it was definitely very uh, like local vibed yeah. and it didn't have this international sort of attention that it's getting now but now that the whole well after next year 2016 california i yeah, mean that's going to be the one that'll be the one for right. sure because it's it's it is the it's going to be history too you know and it's a lot it's almost like going to napa valley if you're going to go for if you're a wine guy you got to go to napa because right. that's you know that's where it's all at same thing for the cannabis people they may all have to be there for that and i'm looking forward to gonna see rob clark we're gonna see a bunch of, there's like pretty much everybody's it's kind of the who's who you gotta stop by. i mean it's the yeah. it's the prestigious event for, for sure, sure. Well, what, uh, what booth are you gonna be are you gonna be and it's gonna rain all three booths? days i heard so it's gonna be like That's typical nor typical i mean how many how many booths are there, is, there rain, ext- is it like a cannabis cup style with lots of booths or is oh, it smaller it's a fairground no it's so huge it's a fairground it's massive it's gonna be massive well we'll find out we're gonna talk to tim we're gonna get all the details medicine's gonna be there we'll have his rosin press nice i can be at booth 57 right by the entrance 
I think. So stop by, get some, I some goodies prepped. I will definitely be stopping by. Yeah. I'll probably stop by right before I leave. and With all your flowers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. be like, hey, smash the can we trash? smash the trash? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're going to kind of dedicate most of the show to Tim if we can, if he, if he can hang with us because there's he's also – he's not just a guy who organizes the events. He's got – he just wrote a book. He did just write a book. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll read his whole bio, actually. Let's do – I don't really have any news, news, news. Do you want news, news, news? I mean, if you don't have any news, news, news. news. I mean, there are a lot of stuff happened this week, but I don't have any prepared. I hit a deer. That's about what happened to me. Oh, my God. Oh, well, yeah, immediately after last week's show. show Right after I left the show. Well, right after you left the show, right after the show, we went outside, and we were talking about how much you loved your car. Yes, it was (laughs) my beautiful And I named it Old Gold. Yes, we gave it a name, titled it, everything. I think that was the shortest lived one. Yeah, it was. And then... Went to my went to your accountant, so I'm blaming you entirely on this whole this <laughs> blaming whole thing. Double D, double basically double D <laughs> accounting <laughs> owes me a car. Uh, yeah. I don't know. If that's <laughs> Some accounting meeting, right? No. Yeah. How but do anyway, I save money? It was classic because it was like I've never hit a deer before, and I even thought about it since I've lived here because I've got a few close calls, and I've been like, man, you know, my mom always is like, hey, you better watch out for deer, and I'm like, God, deer, that is not gonna happen. It can happen, and it definitely can happen because you don't even see it coming. They hit a couple deers. A couple deers? Really? New Jersey, there's a lot of, lot of deer in Jersey. Jersey deers. Yeah, I've hit a deer with a minivan. It didn't total it, though. Oh, man. Well, I totaled mine. So, um, But it was interesting because it was like uh, the next day, the big thing on Facebook was that cop hitting that deer, you know? And I woke up, and the first video I see is the exact same incident that happened to me the day before. <laughs> I was like, that is exactly how it happens. The deer jumps out, bam, except mine didn't run away. Mine laid there, pretty pretty motion. Pretty fucked up. But they, and they said you could keep the deer. They said I could keep the deer. Did you keep it? No, they're no. vegetarians. What are you gonna oh, do? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sell that shit though, dude. Seriously. I mean, do yeah. you know how much a whole deer? If you that's what I'm saying. My new venison, my new play is buying cheap cars, like hundred dollar beaters, hitting deers, selling the deer. Yeah, that's your new straight scam. come up, man. You're getting a whole deer no, for no, hundred bucks. Though. I mean, if you if it was a nice sized deer and you chopped it up, you at least a couple grand off oh, of good venison. Right. Well, you, know, you could pay for old gold. It that's was a baby buck. It was a baby buck. Oh, then yeah, fucking kill it. That's dead. So just what? get rid of it. It's well, I mean, it's dead. Just like it's <laughs> kill it. Is let dead. it be That's killed. It? Just it's, you can't eat a baby deer. I mean, it wasn't a baby. It was a baby buck. Meaning it, it was, was a about small a, buck, twice the weight of me at least, or more. Yeah. I'd say well, it's more meat than you could eat. I don't it know. crushed my it's, car. Put it that way. I, yeah, it me did and crush Stefan the car. just had that conversation. Like if you were driving to work one day, didn't see a deer on this section of the road, and then came back and like off in the woods, you saw the dead deer. Would you stop and get that deer? No, and why no. not? But why though? I guess, and then because you, you, you don't know, know how long, long it's been, been there. there. But no, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't there when you drove to. Maybe work you that just day. didn't see it. No, it wasn't there. You, you, you still no, feel the pulse. I guess it's hypothetical. Yeah. But I mean, I think you have to drain the yeah. blood in like fifteen minutes or something. Yeah, you don't like know that, how though. long it's been there. If it just got hit, if it's still warm, right. maybe. Uh, and I tenderized. It I, know, well I just love me some venison. Tenderized by Honda Odyssey. All right. So how was your week besides me hitting a deer? Oh, that was kind of the highlight of it. That was it. That was the highlight of your Hanukkah. No Hanukkah. Yeah, Hanukkah. How many uh, gifts have you opened up? I've opened up three gifts. Yeah. And are they good? Did you know what they were when, before you opened up? Uh, like I figured out Cards Against Humanity, I figured out oh, yeah, well, as soon as it was in my hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cards Against Humanity. But that was the only one. The others were surprises. Cool. Cool. You didn't get the Dr. Dre dreidel, though? That's the only no, thing. No. If someone bought me no. that, I would be like, that's really just a disappointing and obvious It's game. super disappointing because you're not do the dreidel kind of guy. I didn't know that that was a real thing, the Dr. Dreidel. The, they put dreidels, it out this yes. year. It's, it's pretty cool. hot, man. What about a mensch on a mensch on a bench? Mench on a bench. That was on Shark Tank, but it's like supposed to be like Elf on a Shelf, but sure. for Hanukkah. 
a mensch on a bench, whatever the fuck that is. <laughs> Who the hell's a mensch? <laughs> I don't know. It's a mensch. It's mensch like is disgruntled. a good person. Is it? No, yeah. but he looks disgruntled. Oh. Like he's like the. It's 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 what you That's would consider to be person, racist. It's like the standard Jewish looking person with the curly <laughs> hair and the hat and dressed in like fully yeah. like Jewish Hanukkah garments. But it's called a mensch on a bench, and he looks really upset. He looks disgruntled. He's a disgruntled mensch nice. on a bench. But elf on a shelf is better. Sure. It is. <laughs> and they're always aggro, too, those little elves. Yeah, so yeah, your, yeah. So how was your week like? Always dancing. Huh? I just made a bunch of hash and stuff. Made a bunch of hash. Yeah. Just made a bunch yeah. of hash. It's the life, you know. Just made a bunch of hash, and I'm going to go home uh, after next week's show for a couple days. Say hi to the family. But. All right. Let's get Tim Blake on the line. Tim Blake on Enough of this un- uncannabis related. Look, days. I'll even be here to answer the Skype Man- call for you. So Mench on the bench. About it. Mench on a bench. <laughs> I'm going to get you a bench on a bench. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do they have like a mensch yourself app? Like what? an elf yourself? Mench like yourself. a mensch yourself and you just sit on a bench? What? Just, with curly with with uh Yeah. <laughs> yeah, instantly. They just put curly cues on the picture of your face. That's really yeah, that that's because, <laughs> that's, that's probably an app like that. <laughs> it must be an app like that. Mench yourself. If it hasn't, we need to make it happen. Ha, someone said, "Did you break your espresso machine, kid?" What do you mean? They asked if you have uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, the, the espresso tech, espresso tech. All right, so hold on. Let's 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 backtrack real quick. Um, espresso Tech is probably a hoax. Uh, yes. Um, a, I, I, I'm good. Am I oh, going to try it? Well, Fuck yeah, water, I'm going to try water, it. Hot water is not really known for its no. great so, capabilities. Well, so, okay, so here it is. So it's steam is the way you're really looking at it. So right. if you're doing it right with hot enough water and you maybe modify the espresso The right press, pressure and the it, right It'll come out as steam. So it'll kind of do what butane would do when you spray it through. It's as a steam or as a I mean, a supposedly vapor. rosin is a micro steam, steam distillation. distillation. Mm-hmm. This is a closed encapsulated thing like With a rosin steam. palace in your blast. I'm, and I'm not, lots of pressure. Could it work? Yes. But I also think that water is more. It comes out like crumble, more, though, right? Yeah, it comes out well, like Well, he said he evapped it. Yeah. So. But I would think that it would strip off all the chlorophyll. I mean, it's water. I would right. assume so that it'll it pull be a water solid. That's not a bad be, thing. Be, be, no, 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 no. You pull it through. Yeah, He's saying it should pull it. Oh, you mean I think it would make, yeah. make it green. And t- I'm going to try it, but I just don't know. That, I don't think it's going to work. We'll see. We'll see. All right. It. Let me. Why don't I uh, read Dude. Tim's uh, bio to sort of line them up? There you go. Right on. So uh, Tim Blake started using cannabis in 1971. He grew his first outdoor cannabis crop in 1975. He's been a part of the evolution of our industry and culture since then, witnessing every aspect of the incredible journey it's taken us on. He started doing transcendental meditation that same year. Cannabis and meditation have been an integral part in, of his daily life ever since. Tim was part of starting uh, and ran several production companies in the early 1990s, including a new age distribution and production company, a rap music label, which featured Bootsy Collins on one CD, and a video and music production studio. He has had properties in Mendocino County since the late 70s, finally moving up for good in 1992. Tim's blessed to have three amazing daughters and six beautiful grandchildren. In 1998, he created Area 101, a spiritual sanctuary and event center for all faiths devoted to personal growth and spiritual enlightenment. Over the years, he's produced a wide range of events, including the Emerald Cup. Along with creating the cup, Tim sponsored and helped produce the first gathering of law enforcement and growers to openly discuss how they would work together. These debates between the sheriff uh, between the sheriff candidates helped get Tom Allman elected as sheriff of Mendocino County. 
Hundreds of people came forward to participate in these historical debates, which le- which lead the district attorneys coming to Area 101 for debates before the cannabis growers of Mendocino County also. This helped lead the creation of the 931 program, the first of its kind in our country where cannabis growers could get legal permits to grow organic cannabis from the county. Tim and a partner then created the Mendocino Farmers Collective. MFC is the first collective to bring together outdoor organic growers in Mendocino, creating a way to get products to dispensaries around California, which at that time predominantly featured indoor-grown cannabis. During this time, the Emerald Cup was growing into the event it is today. While the Mendocino Farmers Collective is no longer in operation, Tim has opened Healing Harvest Farms, an organic outdoor collective uh, dispensary at Area 101. So with that uh, intro, I believe we have Tim on the line right now. Hello, Tim. Hey, thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. It's a pleasure to have you, sir. I know you must be busy right now. This is a crazy time for you, I'm sure, with uh, tomorrow being the, the opening of the event, I guess. Well, actually, it's on uh, Saturday. Oh, it's on Saturday. We're setting up tomorrow. Saturday, we're, uh, we're opening. We're setting up tomorrow and Friday, but it is like the opening because all the vendors and sponsors and everybody are coming in, so it yeah. starts the whole kickoff. For you, it's definitely the beginning. <laughs> That's for sure. You know? Sleepless nights, well, sleepless nights, actually, I'm sure. Actually, the beginning for us was uh, November 1st because we actually start the contest then, so before we ever get to the uh, event itself, we have six weeks of a contest that really uh, – taxes us dealing with uh, entries from all over the state yeah you guys have some cr- i mean last year when i saw the entries i was just like my mouth dropped I was so like, how many hundreds of entries are there this year we had over 700 we thought with uh charging a 250 dollars fee and then demanding or letting people know that we're going to do full microbial and pesticide testing that we drop it down to three or four hundred but we still ended up with over 700 yeah and like last year was i think over 900 right so that's that's it was uh close. It was right about yeah, that's like a, a job in itself. So obviously you have a whole month to uh, – how many judges are you guys working with with all these different varieties approximately? Well, we have we have over 50 judges, but that's because we have uh, – we've added on, of course, the solvents concentrate with the rosin and dry sift, and then we've got uh, medicinals and uh, topicals and edibles. Uh, so with, with all of it, with the CBD and everything, it's, it's close to 60 judges all told. Sure. I mean, I, I think the hardest one will be the edible judge. I, I always think that's the toughest one. That's man. such a hard category. That's the one where you're like, wow, give me at least two months to figure that one out because, you know, the recovery times are so much harder. You know, last year we had uh, one lady in particular, I won't name her, but she just went after us for about a month after the cup because we ended up with almost 80 edibles and she was rightfully saying, how could you judge these in two weeks? Yeah. And we were like, look, we didn't ever expect to get that many entries. So we did the best we could. We divided it into judges. They were all eating them day and night. They could barely stand up. And yeah. we did the very best we could under the circumstances. But rather than call the contest, they felt like they had done an adequate job. So this year we closed up the contest a few days earlier and uh, about a week earlier around most of the different drop-off locations so we get it in for testing. But we still ended up with, uh, you know, over 60 edibles. So it's a challenging job. Next year, we're going we're gonna to cut the edibles contest off on November 15th, so the judges actually have a month to do that. Sure. That's cool, yeah. Sure. No, it's great to see this uh, event kind of evolve because it's uh, – how many years – what is this? How many years have you been doing it now? This is the 12th year. 12th year. Yeah. And in the beginning, I mean, it was definitely nowhere near the amount of uh, entries and no more – like it was much smaller, more private kind of event, or can it give us a little oh, background? Oh, yeah, it was uh, – if you would have seen it then, it was my place at Area 101 up here. We had uh, 100-something people. We had, you know, 
couple dozen entries. Uh, most people were afraid to show up. If they did, a lot of people were wearing masks. I mean, we were just hoping we didn't get busted for it uh, at that time. And uh, it's grown from there to where we outgrew my place in the Mateel. And, you know, we're going to have 20,000 people there this weekend. Yeah, it's great to hear. That's huge. And it's and, all and, serious and 20, people. I was going to say, and 20,000 real dedicated people. Because that's the thing I notice is that it's like, you know, the other cups are sort of like people go and they check them out and stuff. A lot but of looky lose. But a lot of lookies, you know, not so much being involved. But it seems like because they have so many entries involved, it, automatically that... A thousand of those people are, you know, the ones who actually grew the plant themselves, and then all the people around them. And it seems like, you know, you you definitely have the quality just by knowing who's going there. Every time I talk to somebody, I'm like, "Yep, you're going to be there." Okay, well, this is going to be a really high quality event. It was amazing. You know, we've gone out of our way to uh, to ensure that we bring the the farmers down and uh, to mix with all the patients and the other product people. And so we do give tickets to all the contestants. Uh, over the last couple of years, all the farmers and you know former outlaws up here have uh, become comfortable with going down to Sonoma, and they realized it's uh, it's a really easy place to be at, and it's comfortable to, to hang out with people. And all the patients, like you said, they come in and realize that they're there with you know 5,000 different farmers, and so it's unlike you know the rest of the uh, the festivals and cups and stuff because it, it really is a wonderful mix of the cannabis farmers and producers up here with all the patients. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, and 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 a lot of these people, as you were saying earlier, they they might have been nervous to come out back in the day, and once they come and it, you know, they they have a great time, they meet good people, um, you know, it's then then when they're you know really know that it's worth it, then it's then then they come down in the droves, you know, so it's it's great to see because that's the thing too in Amsterdam, it was like always living there and people doing the cups there it was like it was the one time a year people kind of let their guard down you know sure. they're, they're finally somewhere where they're like-minded people and they're not looking over their shoulder and i mean i think as as it becomes normalized um you know your your event is going to become one of the more like to see what's the the future of cannabis basically technically well, the cool thing about emerald cup i feel like is like the high times cup is like a smoker's cup and then emerald cup's a grower's cup mm -hmm. you know it's definitely uh, the the whole focus of the event is in touch with the cultivator. It's a West Coast thing versus an East Coast thing, right? East, East Coast guys are just smokers, not growers. <laughs> that's, like, that's true. That's true. Uh, so speaking of, yeah. uh, and your your growing career started. Uh, did it? Did yeah, it Tim, if you've got time for us, we we we've got quite a long show, and we'd love to to kind of lay it all out on the line with you and do a, a proper thorough interview. Sure. Yes, we can keep going. Good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I want to hear. But uh, back in the day when you started growing, was it out of uh, was it circumstantial? Like just happened to be the right place, and somebody sort of showed you what's up, or was it um, you were something you were interested in already from from a long time before that? Like the growing side. No, I was one of those hyperactive kids. Uh, you know, uh, at 13 years old, I I found cannabis and started smoking it. Uh, my father was a pretty big time attorney. Uh, we're all Silicon Valley family. We had a vacation home in Santa Cruz. We moved over there when I was a freshman in high school, and uh, the barn would went up on the walls, and we were downtown, and all of a sudden all the artists started coming by, and my parents started smoking a lot of cannabis and pot, and all of a sudden I started getting joints from all these people, and some of the biggest dealers at the time, they were probably in their early 20s, thought that they uh, hooked me up. Maybe my dad would take care of them or whatever. So here I am in high school getting a kilo, you know, two pounds, some Mexican or Thai or whatever, and they've got like 5,000 pounds in their backyard. So that started in high school uh, back in like 71, 72. But then, uh, you know, as a senior in high school in 74, 
I uh, got a hold of Ed Rosenthal's his first book, and uh, people started talking about actually growing cannabis and stuff. So I took some seeds, uh, threw it in the backyard, uh, I seeded the crop. I didn't really know what I was doing, but that was the beginning of it, and that was the first crop. It's probably 40 years ago. And, uh, you know, I've been doing it ever since, although a lot of it's been on the other side of the business uh, because I was kind of came out of high school and was kind of raised in the cannabis world. So I've kind of watched the whole industry evolve uh, since the uh, beginning of the 70s up till now. So back in the back in the early 70s, when you, you said you were in Santa Cruz. Is that what you're saying? You're in the Santa Cruz area? Yeah, capital. Okay, capital so Santa Cruz. and did you um, and because I know reading your bio that you're, you know, doing a lot of meditation to spirituality. Did you uh, hang out at Esalen ever? You know, I, I made it down there a couple of times, but uh, what I was fortunate to do was, you know, Santa Cruz was really a hub of the emerging spirituality back then. And um, along with uh, getting into uh, smoking in high school, I, I came across uh, Transworld Meditation, which they were doing a lot of classes in Santa Cruz at the time. So I started doing TM then. I've been doing it ever since. Uh, it's been... Uh, you know, over 40 years of doing that. And then I had an opportunity right when Ram Das and Bhagavan Das came back with the first book, Be Here Now, uh, to do some meditation classes. I didn't even know who these guys were at the time. It was about six months before they really broke, and they were doing a little meditation class up at UC Santa Cruz, and I went up and was meditating with those guys and didn't even know who they were. Um, and, of course, that was kind of a real big thing in Santa Cruz at the time, and so it just came together. I mean, it was kind of the forefront of evolved alternative thinking. Uh, Santa Cruz was. I mean, boy, we've been the most liberal uh, voting county outside of San Francisco for the last 40 years. Uh, and now Mendocino County has really overtaken that in a lot of ways. But back then, that's where it was happening. So spirituality and, uh, and cannabis were just going hand in hand all through that time. Sure. I mean, and that's, and that's kind of the, the original California sort of... Uh you know, before, like now it's a completely different, different, uh, landscape as far as the, you know, a lot of young kids making extracts and stuff like that. But back in the day, it was definitely more linked towards the, you know, alternative lifestyle, living off the grid, you know, because the reason I asked about Esalen was because, uh, my friends were, my friends were born up in that area, up in Big Sur. And that's kind of like the, the beginning of our, my cannabis sort of history is all in that going, going out to, to, uh, Big Sur and, you know, experiencing quality cannabis and then living back in New York, bringing back a bit and, and, and just blowing everybody's minds. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? I've never seen anything like this. You know, and I was like, wow, this is what real weed is, you know? And then we were all smoking pressed Thai and Mexi and whatever on the East coast. And, and, you know, Cali's always had a little more, obviously a connection to the plant and the ability to, and that was when it was literally like nobody, that stuff never came off the hill hardly. You know what I mean? That, that cannabis barely made it, to town you know because so but nowadays it, it's you know the whole area has been completely changed and it's like if you go down to the bar local bar everybody's like everybody's about to become the next big oh, don yeah. juan of cannabis yeah. you know what i mean so after these next two crops because yeah. after this crop oh yeah exactly well they had the big sir holy weed which is infamous back then and uh and i know that in the early 80s uh when the thai and mexican loads were coming in uh, and we were still getting uh, you know, hundred thousand pound loads in twelve, you know, fourteen, fifteen times a year. I had a friend come down, and he showed me some some unbelievable ganja. I'd never seen anything like it. In fact, everything at the time was going for about two thousand pounds, and it was going for four. And people wanted uh, they wanted a, a third of your crop, and you couldn't cut a clone for two years to even get the clone. And at the time, I told him it was out of his mind because I had like a thousand pounds in my backyard. 
Uh, but I bought the cannabis from him because it was the best I've ever seen. But sure enough, he said that they were going to bust every load in the next two years, and they were going to change the whole landscape of cannabis and cocaine in the country. And all the generals and the businesses had seen this, and that um, that the future was going to be growing indoor. And at that point, nobody's even growing indoor. And he said, you're going to be growing this bud under lights that you see like in Safeway within two years. And I said, you're out of your mind. And then, of course, two years later, after they busted about 16, 17 loads on the West Coast, I had to go back and beg for that, that clone, which became known as the chronic and the grease and the magic. That was the first super pot. And uh, that was really what started the beginnings of the indoor. And, and then, of course, we took that, that strain up here up in the Northern California and gave it everywhere, and it became one of the major uh, the breeding components. But that supposedly came out of Big Sur. It was really? read by those guys down there. Nice. That's interesting. Yeah, I know it was definitely, it was definitely a, a hub at one point because uh, my friends lived up on Partington Ridge, and it was like they they had uh, they they were the spot. Like that's pretty much just they used to just grow outside the house, no problem. But then after every year, they'd have to go deeper, another mile deeper, another mile deeper until they were going like fifteen miles in to to plant their crops, and then the when the when the feds would come in, they'd use they would use my friend's property to do their launches from for their helicopters, you know? So they'd be like watching their own crops get dropped off at their own house to be taken off, to be processed somewhere else. You know what I mean? It was like disheartening. So they had to kind of quit, quit operations up there for yeah, in the last few years. And now of course it's all. Yeah. There was a, Go ahead. Yeah. It was a whole different world before camp and Comet came in. And that, those first few years at the, the middle seventies or early seventies, when people first started going outdoor and you could do whatever you wanted because they didn't even have organized, uh, law enforcement going after people, but after that came about and the form comment camp came in, uh, it's been a whole different world for the last uh, 35 years. Yeah, and I mean now, it's like there's nowhere you can hide. I mean there's satellites, you can sit there. If I look at like even Google Earth, which is last year's summer, you know you can see you can go to like Bend, Oregon or something, and pretty much every single house has plants that <laughs> you can spot yeah. from Google Earth. You know what I mean? Of course it's not going to be real time, but the, that's not to say that they don't have real time. And, of course, I mean, it must be just blow their minds because a good percentage of people up there are growing. I mean, most more more than not. More than not, yeah. Well, what happened was it was a big change because when we came forward with the 9.31 program, which is where you could grow up to 99 plants with permits from law enforcement for a fee, uh, you really weren't seeing a lot of uh, full sun out in the open crops. And then once we started that program, everybody started popping outside course they busted that program the lead proponent of that the second year uh they were flying me with choppers i was kind of the number two guy he'd just taken more of a public stance i'd stayed in the background but we had 12 people the first year in that program we had almost 100 the second year and we'd raised over three quarters of a million dollars and saved all the uh the jobs cuts for all the sheriff's departments and law enforcement so they were working closely with us they had five other counties in northern california about to join up in that program and i told my friends i said if they don't do something the feds right now they're never going to be able to turn this back because all of Northern California will be growing legally in conjunction with law enforcement. And what are they going to do? So Tom Allman actually had a press conference after they busted Matt Cohen and said he didn't understand any of it because they had done surveillance for them and it showed them huge cartel grows within miles of this legal 99 plant grow. And, and why were they busting his grow, which was basically compliant and, and giving money to the sheriff's department. But their response was to threaten law enforcement, county council, the board of supervisors, and every public official that was involved in issuing one more permit with federal prison sentences. And so that's when Mendocino got to see exactly how the feds play. And uh, of course, we had to go hide for a couple of years while Colorado and Washington took the forefront and went legal. And if you guys are aware, I mean, 
at that point, the eight former heads of the DEA petitioned Obama to negate that that vote based upon the United Nations Charter, which he realized he couldn't he couldn't do that. And then they came after with the banking rules two or three times, and they finally realized they just weren't going to be able to stop it. And so now they've just uh, had to back up because instead of picking on little counties, they're picking on states. They're not really going to tolerate it. Uh, I mean, yes and no. The 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 to the extent that I don't know where the collaboration is, right? But here in Denver, it's they find new ways to to make it so no one gets rich. That's for sure. Every every few months, uh, they manage to you know, for example, no one can can file tax write offs. That's been the interesting thing in being for profit is you're running for profit, and you can't file tax write offs on your on your business. Like that's not how retail works. You you can't run a business that way, uh, and with the regulations that are put on, obviously some of them are good, but uh, with the uh, new licensing things that they uh, put, the moratoriums, the way they uh, push businesses around, uh, it it really, you know, they kind of kick the industry every time it starts to maybe get ahead of itself a bit um, to bring in new outside investment to change up the culture more and more. But it's very deliberate is the scary thing. And, you know, they say as much at these meetings. Uh, we have one correspondent who kind of goes to all the meetings who tells us about all of it. And it's it's like really shocking how how blatant they are about trying to remove cannabis culture from the cannabis industry here in Colorado. Um, Futile efforts at, at best. Uh, but they can they can dilute it. That's what they do. They mm-hmm. dilute it. Mm-hmm. Well, they're diluting the ability to have open commerce. They can't really restrict the access to, to, for patients as much because they're not being able to hold that back. And it's the same thing we're going to deal with the legislation here that they just passed in California and with the proposed initiatives, probably the Parker Initiative, that's going to go through. They, we do. We have to basically compromise and give them the right to hassle us on the DUIs and do the drug testing on the jobs and do a lot of things that are just really not fair in the, in the mode of compromising so that we can get the legislation or the initiatives passed. And so they do put those roadblocks up every step of the way. I've been telling people for years that when they look back at history, you know, 30 or 40 years from now, and we turn this world around, it's going to be, I believe, you know, uh, principally because of this alternative income that cannabis provided because they've taken the uh, manufacturing out of this country. They've basically crushed uh, the North American empire in the United States. What would have taken two years, they brought us to our knees from zero debt to $20 trillion in debt in one generation. And they really thought they kind of, you know, turned us into like in a slave society, but the cannabis people wouldn't back down, and that's why they've really gone after it so hard and so harshly because it was the one thing they really hadn't uh, figured out. They hadn't really counted on it. Absolutely. Yeah, and the thing is that with cannabis, uh, you know, we are all about sort of moving forward together, you know what I mean? Like we're definitely, I mean, there's always going to be groups that come in and don't give a shit about the industry or whatever, but for the most part, it's like... um, Without a, without a one, it's not like we have one leader or we have you know we're all following somebody's. We're uh, all doing it for the plant. We're all doing it because of the, we we you know, we're all doing it like you know not sleeping at night for this plant you know so it's like pretty much they don't I don't think most people understand how dedicated we really are and that we're not gonna we're definitely not gonna stop doing what we do because I mean that's the one thing it's it's interesting to see when we're like in a state now where it's legal how it changes the way people perceive stuff because back in the day we kind of had this idea that no one knew what we were doing and we were all undercover and we're being, you know, clandestine about it. And now it's completely obvious and everybody knows what's going on. And so you, you get your haters, of course, because that's what happens in anything. If you do anything and you become slightly successful, you're going to have a lot of haters. But the when it comes to like 
corporations and, and all they're all trying to crack the code which we all know kind of internally because that's why we live our life you know yeah and so it's fun to watch these I, I like to watch big corps try to come in on our stuff because at the end of the day it's it's kind of like it has a built-in cannabis always has this built-in security of itself you either get like, it or you don't yeah and, and it just has it it's like it's kind of like the it's like the minute you think you're doing good and you pat yourself on the back the shit goes downhill quick well, you know what i mean you're like oh don't think you're doing everything perfect because you're definitely not you know what i mean you have to you have to kind of roll with the punches and that's i think out of anybody in any kind of group marginalized group cannabis users are probably the most used to being pushed aside you know what i mean and so we have no problem with it you know what i mean it's not like it's a big deal we just keep moving forward it's what like uh now, it's sorry go ahead yeah we've had a very vicious group of people that have refused to stand down and you look at it over the years you know the heroes that are out there eddie lap and Roger Christie, Pebbles Chipper, all these people that just uh, refuse to back down, all the people who have done prison time for cannabis. I mean, I acknowledge all the activists and stuff, but it's all the people in the trenches that have been fighting for it and refusing to give up the, you know, their medicine over the last 40 years that have really kept this thing going. And you do see big business coming in very quickly in California. It's, a, it's amazing how fast they see it. It's a little different than you guys in Colorado and Washington because you guys didn't have the built-in industries. You guys weren't doing $10 billion a year. Even right. now, yeah. Colorado and Washington are only 15th of what we are. I mean, I heard that Colorado was one quarter of the business of LA. Yeah. Um, so we're so huge and we're such an established world. Uh, I see these distribution companies coming in now that we're working with. I've been telling people that it's, it's going to be a whole different world in two years. We're going to pass uh, initiative this year. We're going to legalize in California and it's going to go from 10 to 15 billion a year to 30 or 40 billion a year and it's going to and that's what they realize once california goes legal they they'll have to back up even another 10 notches because the whole country's going to fall yeah and once california goes and i've been saying it here in colorado like colorado's only something right now because it's not time in california yet you know it's no one's going to want to come to colorado when they can go to california uh just for ski season maybe yeah maybe (laughs) but i think that's fluffed up man you know california has the infrastructure has the industry just needs the the you know legal structure to operate like real businesses and uh the money's there the, every, everything's there for it to work in california the population's there dude no yeah i mean you that's know, the like, thing like you were just saying uh la county is the biggest consumer place for cannabis probably in america you know when it comes to just the volume of people that smoke and and they're all it's not like a new thing for anybody they got money they got they got expendable income they're ready to do it you know and so it's yeah, I mean, obviously, once that kicks in, which we all know it's going to, then it is going to uh, push the buttons of everybody to like say, you know what? Now we have the East Coast, we have the West Coast, we got the middle. What you know, really, it's just pockets in between now that we have to clear up. And and it will. And the key and the main thing is California. The minute it gets federally accepted, there's no competition because of the they, they have the agricultural background that we just don't they have. Just don't you know? have the water. They just don't have the water. That's that's the next fight. How is how's it been with that situation for you guys with this whole drought and and obviously of course it's drought until you do your event and then it rains three days in a row. Right? There you go. You so, guys made the rain come. Yeah. That's, but uh, how has it been up there with yep. the this year with the with the crops and stuff? I mean, a lot of people predict, predicted that there'd be you know huge price spikes and that the uh, the the quality would go down because of all the fires and the combination of fires and then the lack of water. Did you notice that at all? No, uh, we thought that might happen, but basically uh, they might have taken out one out of ten of the crops through fires or for, through busts, but uh, then the uh, rest of the people grew 50% more. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, you, you got people, you know, doing a lot of water divergent, uh, diverging stuff, but you also have a lot of people like myself that have got wells or big catchment ponds. And so we're learning how to catch the rainwater. We're learning how to get the wells in like the rest of the farmers. And, uh, even though we do have a serious drought here, uh, and even with uh, La Nina or El Nina, that's, uh, they're still not the kind of water we hoped for. Um, I think we're going to do okay uh, for the next few years. We still, what we can produce here, I mean, if you look at what the grape, uh, the grapes take, all the vineyards take, and all the rest of agriculture, they're going to be tearing up all those vineyards to put in cannabis as it goes legal because they're making, you know, three or $4,000 on an acre for vineyards. And you put an acre of cannabis in, and you're going to be making, you know, two or 300000 Sure. Yeah, so yeah no, and number, yeah, I can, be, I can see that. I can see that definitely transferring quickly. It's going to go. And then, you know, the, the thing about it is, is that, like you said, when people come in from Japan and people come in from Europe, they know that the best bud in the world right now, all the breeders in Europe, they're, they're coming over here, not from going to Spain, they're coming over here in Northern California to find the strains and find the best bud because that's where it is. Yeah. And you've got these farmers that have been doing it for 40 or 50 years and have got their chops down. And people will catch up. But because we're the breadbasket of agriculture in this country and the world, and because we have that 30-year uh, head start as far as uh, expertise, uh, the farmers here are going to do good. I tell them, as long as you grow a good product, you get a good organic medicine, and you're willing to see the price breaks come down somewhat, you're going to be fine for the next several years. Yeah. Uh, on that note, let's uh, take a moment to shout out our sponsors. Uh, if you can hang on the line with us, Tim, we'll continue in just a couple moments here. Sure. Quick. Sure. All right. So uh, first uh, and foremost... Big, way big to, shout out big, to Way to Grow. Exactly. Way to Grow, uh, our number one sponsor from the beginning, keeping us going on the show. Um, they got seven locations. Uh, the, my favorite would be the Platte River, of course, uh, 1051 Platte River. They have the Concentrate Corner there. I noticed that they also have ovens at some of the other locations. Yeah, yeah, stuff. So but can, Concentrate Corner's got a much wider selection. Exactly. But they have, yeah, the... The, the Cascade ovens and yeah. stuff, I noticed at the other one. But uh, also, uh, what's their sale going on now? They had the... Uh, Oh, look, it up. <laughs> look it up but uh again seven locations uh silverthorne the latest one up in the mountains there so you don't have to drive all the way back down especially when the season kicks in because you may not get home again um and they're having the Mary- and right now they're doing the Marion bright sale That's oh right. oh it's on the lecs exactly speaking of indoor growing uh great deal on the these ceramic metal halides we love these yeah i've been uh, i just 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 harvested a bubblegum chem cross with that and beautiful i mean that's one thing about it, it definitely with those lecs they they bring out uh the brightness of your plant like everything's really just robust, vivid yeah. super vivid yeah, so, yeah yeah absolutely um and uh this is all month long they've got 315s uh in depending if you have a 120 or 240 obviously a little cheaper on the 240s um and also cheaper to run so if you're if you haven't changed over Do always that. run your lights at 240 that's recommendation pro tip Pro tip, recommendation. Um, and uh, and mention the Adam Dunn Show account on checkout. For 25% uh, off. Store. Yeah, you get 25% off. That's, and, of uh, course, grab some candy deal. for the kid. Yeah, there you go. Speaking of candy. <laughs> the, our other second, number, uh, second number one sponsor. I guess you can have two number one sponsors. Is that possible? Uh, we'll call Whatever. it 1B. 1B. <laughs> Incredibles. Incredibles Edibles. Number one edibles here in Colorado and soon to be nationwide. Uh, I heard they're in Vegas now coming. coming that's Awesome. Soon. Are they bringing the whole product line there? I think they are. That's awesome. Well, then soon to be in Las Vegas, you can. Vegas is a good place for Incredibles, honestly. I, I, Vegas and Edibles goes well together to me. I don't know why. I know it's opposite for some people, but uh, Afogato Bar might be good for Vegas with a little coffee in it. Of course, the Fireberry. Yeah. The Habanero. Uh, 
Habanero raspberry, right? They got the yeah, mile higher mint now, too. 500 milligrams THC. So they're kicking it. Yeah. Strawberry Crunch, I tried that the other day. Strawberry Crunch is great, right? Awesome. Yes. Uh, the Flax Krispies in and there. And the Pumpkin Pie Delight. I haven't had it yet. Fucking mind-blowing. So I got to get it. I yeah. got to get it. I, just, I have my temporary ID, so I can't shop right now. No. I got to get my real license so I can go get one. Uh, anyway, you can check them out, IncrediblesColorado.com. Go out to their site, and they have a locator, store locator. And then you can find out where you can get them. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. Shouldn't uh, be too hard. They're definitely in lots of shops in Colorado. Over of course, big, shops. big shout-out to our good friends at Build a Soil. Jeremy, uh, Jeremy, just expanding locations. Uh, if you're doing organics, if you're trying to, th- if you're thinking about trying to do organics, if you're trying to think about uh, thinking about trying to think about thinking about <laughs> trying to think about, if you're thinking about trying to think about some sub-irrigated planters, yeah. uh, they've got a new mix too that's comparable to Pro Mix, but a little better sourced, higher quality materials. Um, there's a, they're doing a lot of stuff beyond just the living soil thing. That's all sort of compatibly themed. Uh, and I'm really liking some of the new products they're getting up there. It looks like they're going to start stocking the uh, OSA 28. Obviously, they're still our favorite source for the Ahimsa neem oil. Uh, just everything's top quality with Jeremy. And, of course, you can always get a hold of him, and he'll he'll walk you through whatever you're facing. Uh, you can contact him right through buildasoil.com. Boom. Big, big shout-out, of course, to Dark Horse Genetics. Um, check them out right now. They still have a few packs of archive seeds left. Uh, I ran I mean, through those pretty quick. That was a big. That was a big drop that uh, we kind of had held back for a while. Private stock from from the pop up seed bank that was released to Jaw Farm. So you can go to Jaw Farm uh, and pick up those uh, disc, not discontinued, but limited edition archive seed bank packs. Uh, I think there's a lot of fire still left on there, um, and you get them right now. Also, those dark horse hoodlums. There are a few left. They are fucking moving. awesome. And they're moving. They're moving. They're great. Yeah. They're really, they're great, great hoodies. Um, Can't say enough good things about Hoodlum. <laughs> of course. Of course, big, big shout out to uh, Elite Cannabis and Mary's Medicinals, marysnutritionals.com. Once again, these are a trusted source of CBD that will ship to patients nationwide uh, with some restrictions. Go to marysnutritionals.com. I'm not just saying this is a trusted source. This is a farm that we've been to many times. This is a processing center we've been to. These are I'm people going there today. Know. Adam's on his way up there. These are people who've helped people we've known. These, these are people who we know have helped people we don't know. They can help people for you. Marysnutritionals.com. You can order CBD in multiple forms. Anywhere uh, in America except uh, the Western District of Pennsylvania and Florida, I believe. But maybe there are others. You'll find out. <laughs> yeah, you'll find out. You'll find out. They'll let you know. Check your local. Uh, Check your yeah. Local laws may apply or something, but something like they'll that. ship it, uh, and you can buy it online. And it's the same price as it is in stores here, and you don't pay the twenty five percent sales tax we do here in Colorado. And with that said, that's the lineup. We're here with Tim Blake, uh, founder of the Emerald Cup, talking about his history uh, growing uh, and growing with uh, the cannabis scene in Northern California since uh, the seventies. Uh, so Tim, you were talking about this year and, and, uh, you know, seeing cannabis as a viable alternative for a lot of, uh, grape growers because it's more efficient with water use. Yeah, well, it's, uh, far more efficient with water use. And I mean, I haven't seen any big vineyards move over yet, but with this new legislation that got passed, uh, on the medicinal side, you're going to be able to grow almost an acre on a, on a piece of land. And with the Parker initiative, 
And they just agreed they were going to open it up for anything up to any size, 5,000 acre farms. The small farmers of California have really pressed them to be fair with us. And so they've now changed their initiative language to bring it down to the same as the state guidelines where nothing for the next five years would be over one acre. But if you're a vineyard or if you're one of these properties that have large holdings, you know, how many one acre pieces? I had a guy from Monterey come up, said he had 39,000 acres and he wanted to know how many one acre pieces I wanted to grow on. And that's when I realized, well, there's going to be some large farms coming into California and uh, there's going to be some price drops and uh, you're going to see this over the next couple of years because the medical legislation is going to go in in 18 and this initiative would go in before that. So right. uh, not only the vineyards, but a lot of farmers across California are looking at it uh, very lucratively going into cannabis farming. So that's where we're at now. But of course, you've been along for the ride on the crazy road to get here. And that's that's uh, something we want to kind of segue into. Uh, and then I want to talk a little bit about the Emerald Cup. And of course, I want to talk about your new book, but we still got plenty of time. Um, but let's let's talk about sort of uh, where you're the, the crazy ride you've taken along along the cannabis growing underground uh, up there in NorCal. Well, like I said, I started in uh, in the early 70s. I came up here uh, in the early 90s. I've been up here for the last uh, 25 years. And, uh, you know, we were doing big generator grows, indoor grows at the very beginning because you couldn't do outdoors. And that evolved over the years to where you could actually come out and do it uh, in full sun. But, you know, like everybody else, you know, you have a couple of years of getting ripped off and a couple of years of getting busted. And you're just hanging on tenaciously and going forward. So I've seen it all over the last uh, 45 years. At this point now, uh, after being part of the 9.31 program and seeing people being able to grow legally out in full sun, you know, 200 to 1,000 pound crops, it's a whole different world. And so now it's about the quality. Uh, we finally got a chance to compete with indoor. I mean, indoor is there because we couldn't grow outdoor. Otherwise, there's no other agricultural crop that really is being grown indoor. And I think in your neck of the woods and in some northern states, you'll still see some of the indoor and niche market. But for the most part out here in California, you're going to see more and more outdoor really incredible sun-grown cannabis. And so for farmers up here, uh, it's a brave new world. And I tell them all, you know, they've got to brand themselves. They've got to really become, you know, sustainable farmers. They've got to get their organic nature. Uh, Fish and game, the water resource boards are all coming in now and making people permit all their farms. And so it's gone from me trying to get people to come to the Emerald Cup to getting them to sign up for these legal programs to grow to where it's like now I'm telling them, look, it's now or never for you guys. You've got to come in here and you've got to get permitted with your water and you've got to come out from hiding and you've got to get all your permits for your roads and your your houses and whatnot and become legal growers. And then you've got to find legal distribution because uh, the black market's going to dry up over the next few years as it becomes legal across the country and every other state. You know, look what Michigan's doing, Colorado, Washington, Oregon. And so it's changing very rapidly, and that's what we try to do at the Emerald Cup is teach these people how fast it's changing how they don't have to be afraid of it. They can embrace it, and it can be a really fun thing because instead of hiding out and wondering when somebody's going to come get them, they can start figuring out how to do tax deductions and pay their taxes. So, yeah. Tim, do you find any resistance on that uh, from people sort of hanging on to the old ways? Uh, when I first I did the first sheriff's debate with uh, Tom Allman, I had Pebbles Trippett come to me and ask if I'd sponsor the debates. I got a 150-acre campground kind of at the base of Spyrock, the Emerald Triangle, and uh, I said I would. I've got uncles and, and brother-in-laws that are in law enforcement. And I tell people, you know, the first time you get robbed or you have people coming after you, it's not your neighbors you're calling, it's the cops. And, you know, and the cops aren't all bad. There's bad cops, sure, but when you want protection, they're going to need to be there. And so uh, I got death threats when I did that. I was told that if I came up on Spyrock, they'd bury me, uh, that I was ruining the old ways. So, 
yeah, starting with the Emerald Cup and going through the 9.31 program, um, I have been, uh, you know, chastised and threatened all the way along that I was ruining a way of life. Uh, although it's funny now, these same farmers that can grow out in full sun, I haven't seen them all come back and say thanks, but now they don't have to hide under the woods sure, anymore yeah. and grow indoor. They yeah. can get back in the full sun. So, but they all know it, and so I, I don't, I don't worry about that. But yeah, it's been a, it has been a, a real process to drag people uh, into the light, and uh, it's happening so quickly. Now they realize that they have to, or they're going to be in the shadows, and that's not where they want to be. Yeah, no, and I, I know plenty of growers in California. Same situation. I mean, they're. They're kind of like a lot of them are two are at their age, you know, they're in their mid sixties or so. And they're kind of like, what do I do now? You know, what am I going to do? I can't, you know, and, and it's like, you guys have to, you, people have to adapt. You know what I mean? And part of that is, I mean, if, if you're, if you're living, if you happen to live in NorCal and you're just, you know, you're first of all, you're lucky as hell because you're in a great spot for growing cannabis, regardless of, you know, and legal legality or not just, just condition the climate, wise, yeah. the climate is awesome. So so be be thankful on that, and then I see it as being like, uh, just like it is when you go on a wine tour. Now, I mean, you 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 cruise around, and those farms that are that have the the vineyards that have that have become successful, they probably struggled just as hard as cannabis growers back in the day, especially when trying to establish their original rootstock and stuff, and probably lost money along the beginning side. And, you know, and I'm sure it's the people who had the tenacity to stay there. And now all of a sudden they're part of a, you know, like you, you get off, you know, you fly into San Francisco, you rent your car and you start driving north and you hit all these vineyards. And if they got good wine and they got good, you know, they got good practices, they're probably doing great. But if they, you know, back in the day were kind of cutting corners and doing stuff kind of shady and not, you know, doing things properly, well, they probably didn't make it to this point. And, and, you know, now you, the ability to be part of that uh, tour, let's say, is is already like something that people should take their, you know, just make their places more welcoming and less uh, less of a clandestine operation, you know. Oh yeah, they're, it's funny. They uh, nobody wanted to come out and be in public. They they all said, "You go do it," and now they want all they all want their fifteen minutes of fame. They all want to tell their stories because you got all these, you know, primarily males because it was kind of an outlaw, a dangerous world, so you didn't have as many females. And it's wonderful to see all the female presence coming in now, but. Uh, but now they all want to come out and tell their stories because they've been doing it for 30 or 40 years and they've, they've got their strains and their lineages and their, and their own, uh, their own tales to tell. And just like the vineyard people, like you said, I know all those vineyards that are up and down this coast and they weren't making big money. Nobody even talks about California wine until about 10 years ago when they did that amazing campaign. It was all, you know, French wines. And now who talks about French wine? Right. right. Very few Californians. And if you go to, uh, if you go to a liquor store here, it's, 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 the wine has become a whole new thing again. Like it's kind of a renaissance uh, with a lot of people, you know, where people finally like, Oh really? (laughs) It's like, this is the whole industry right there, my friend. And very much comparable, you know? Yeah, but but it's really great to see all the uh, all the desire for people to come out in the open. You know what? Most of us up here, we just want to pay our taxes. We just want to not be the black sheep of the family. We want to be proud of what we do, and we are proud of what we do. But we've you know been marginalized by society and by the promotional campaigns of the you know the DEA and the uh, Justice Department, you know, demonizing us. And you go back what, all the way back to when they were doing it against Afro Americans and Hispanics in the 30s. Yeah. I would you know, say, if you look at it, it's always been that way. Okay. Well, that's that, the other cool piece about that that I always say, kind of like touching on where we were at before, is like how much are we like in love with this plant or per- potentially controlled by this plant? Like, yeah, we go went up against the most powerful law enforcement and military forces in in the modern world for a, for this, you know, for not no one's getting 
stinking rich. You know, no one's getting. It, it's 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 because no, we love are, it. And it's if you, and the people it. who did make a lot of money, their their lives were were hell because yeah. you know to keep all that to keep all the people at bay and have you know if you're making because I, I think the big difference was that back in the day when there was a lot of smuggling going on. It was just like you said, like 1.2 million pounds of cannabis coming into the West Coast. Then people were making money because right. they didn't. They right. just coordinated everything and made it work. They weren't doing the actual growing side because those countries that were doing the growing were they weren't making money. They weren't making any money. <laughs> no, they I mean, weren't making money. <laughs> they, they, those people weren't getting paid good at all, and it was serious grind work. You know, right. that, and and so to bring that, you know, and, and and there's no other industry out there that Americans are really going above and beyond with the, you know. To, to to do any kind of physical labor of any sort when it but when it comes to cannabis we have to because there's there's nowhere no one else to do the job right now you know so it's it's interesting yeah, to see people, yeah but those people that were doing excuse me back then were also looking at ten to fifteen year prison sentences for hauling those loads in too right, exactly so there was people were making a lot of money but it's just that same thing risk factor and where, versus dollars I and mean, what could you spend your money on you know they couldn't really spend their money on things that would get them busted obviously so they ended up wasting it um you know food and alcohol and drugs and other things and things that they couldn't trace so so yeah it was like kind of a burden if you have all this money but you can't, can't really yeah. flex with it at all you know and if you do everyone knows what you're doing and, and then, so it's yeah, like right. so yeah i think it's it's been a and and the, from the outside looking in, everybody always thinks that cannabis people are just crushing it, making so much money. We're just we're we're loaded. We don't pay any taxes. We just we're just hand oh, over. Especially fist. if you're in the legal business, then if you're oh, you're in Denver, you're in Canada. yeah. Well, now it's turned into a and now it's literally because to own a business here in Colorado, you have to have spent you know half a million or more right. just to get to the starting line. You know, to get to the starting line to start making money. So people don't. So people automatically assume, well, if you had a half a million, you must be rich, not realizing that you probably no, tapped you everybody around you. You know what I mean? You're half and, a million dollars in debt. And you can't <laughs> get money from the bank, and you have to do it all personal loans, and it's all comp- – you know. so, so I think that, you know, that out, the, the people looking at the industry have always thought we're doing better than we're doing, and we've on the inside have always been fu- – like, you know, I know myself and my family, and I'm sure everybody with their own family has that moment in time where they're like, this is not working, you know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> and you're like, I know it's not working, but yeah. it's because we have to keep moving to forward. We're to- not at the place where it works yet. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's the same for everybody. And I think I've seen it with, you know, anytime you think somebody's doing good, there's a lot behind the scene that you don't know what's going on, and it's usually not <laughs> the same story. Sure. Um, speaking of which, yeah, we, we, we heard a story, um, I guess we... Should we, are we going to talk about the book now a little bit? Because that's coming. I haven't even gotten into that. But I want to do Emerald Cup first, and okay. then and All then right. the book because that's right. the most. Or you want to do book first? Let's do book first because Emerald Cup is the most current thing. So exactly, we'll round it out at the yeah, Emerald yeah, Cup yeah, yeah, yeah. because um, there was a story that one of our friends said he wanted to hear from you about. Uh, I think it was about being tied up, and there was something something along those lines, wasn't it? There was some robbery or something. Did you have some? Oh, Nick Vitus. Nick yeah, Vitus oh, wanted oh, to hear some story. Is that ringing well, a bell for I you, Tim? Yeah, there was a there was a story I told somebody. Uh, it's going to actually be in the second book. I'm doing a, a trilogy right now. That uh, the first one's from 25 years back. But uh, I was um, I was dealing with a guy named the Antichrist, Mike uh, Mike Wigner, and he was uh, the, one of the main enforcers for the Hell's Angels for a long time. He was known uh, Mad Mike and the Antichrist, and he set us up. I tried to help these friends do a, a festival at his property. He he had us move in there. And he had the place wired. He knew exactly what we we're doing. He was so far beyond us. This guy was a mastermind. He had 
he had six different machines, these two thousand dollar machines. He'd hook up your phones, and then he'd sit at this place and listen to everybody's phones. And he'd do he'd be setting up, uh, you know, extortions or robberies or mayhem and stuff. And he set us up. He spent the whole year setting us up. And just through a series of uh, weird circumstances, I ended up being at the place one night. All my partners had left. We had three or four people guarding something. But somebody had to go for a wedding, and somebody had to go here, and somebody had to go there, and my driver coming in couldn't make it, and I just ended up being at this place, and we'd known that he had these three Aryan guys that were getting ready to set us up, and so I couldn't leave because I had too much product, and back then you didn't drive around product or do things, it was too dangerous, so my friend came, came in at the door, it was his 30th birthday, and he looks at me, he's got this new bong, and he said, uh, he said, why are you sitting there on, the, on this bed with this gun? And I said, well, I'm waiting to get robbed. I said, it's just a perfect story where it's like, everybody's gone. I'm the only one here. And I got, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars of the product. And it, it's just, it just doesn't feel right. And uh, so he took some clones up to the top and came back down to hit his new bong. Before he could even take a hit, uh, three guys kicked that door in with black, uh, all black, you know, blackouts, stuff, vest tops, everything. Mini 14s. They looked at me. I looked at my gun. Luckily, I was standing up and this guy had come in because I wasn't anywhere near that gun. I looked at the gun. They saw the gun. They saw him. They were smart. They took stock of what was going on. I jumped behind this wall. I wasn't very smart. They probably could have blown me away right then. I jumped behind the wall, and they went over to him and basically cracked that bong over his head and beat him senseless, uh, basically almost to death, while I was loading up this 38 in my back room. And I was such a – I wasn't thinking right. I was loading up this, you know, 38 with eight shells, eight, seven nights of shells, and they got three mini-14s. And so I, I finally came to and realized I was not going to take these guys on. And so they came around the corner slowly but surely, and I raised my hands up. I should have said I surrendered because I'm surprised they didn't shoot me again. And uh, the guy in the front was this guy that was working for Mike, and I recognized him and called his name out, and then he realized I wasn't supposed to be there. And then he realized that I knew who he was. The other guy jumped in front, tied me up with uh, a Levi jacket, and duct taped me, put me in the bathtub. Uh, they, they were sitting there then planning on murdering me because they thought my friend was dead. So they drug him into the bathroom, and they were talking about how they're going to have to take me outside because they didn't want to get blood all over them and uh, how they didn't want to get, you know, make a mess. And so I'm listening to these guys plan my murder as I'm tied up, and uh, I'll, never, I'll never let anybody tie me up again. I'll tell you what, I'll die first before I do that. I have claustrophobia about that. But, so I'm screaming that but my friend's not dead, my friend's not dead. And somehow in the middle of this, he comes to and realizes somewhat what's going on and he's like i'm not dead i'm not dead and so they realized at that point they didn't have to murder me wow uh <laughs> i started going back a little back and forth. i started going back and forth with this guy at that point telling him you know that they didn't have to take the whole crop they could just you know they had all of it just leave us a couple pounds i mean i wasn't making sense and stuff and he's laughing at me and uh then i started giving him some shit because i started feeling a little full of myself that you know and then he explained to me that he just got out of prison a couple of years ago and he'd rape people like me and that he was just going to basically fuck me there on the spot. He started basically getting ready to do just that. And then I realized that it had really gone from one thing to like now I was going to encounter deliverance. And uh, I was, you know, even more terrified thinking what I'd done to myself. And then these guys that were his bosses came through and whispered something in his ears. They basically realized they didn't have time for any of this. They'd gotten the score they needed. And he looked at me and said, you're lucky I didn't have 10 minutes more, you know, I would have done you right and basically left. And I, I laid down that bathtub, uh, exhausted, uh, and, uh, drained, uh, with Marv outside of it. There was a little scene in between that where this idiot had put Marv on top of me. They realized Marv was alive. So he wanted Marv to get on top of me on this, in this bathtub. And I told him he's crazy. That's what started it. I said, you've already got us. You don't need to have him do this. Puts a 220 pound man on top of me while I'm hogtied in the bathtub. So I can't breathe. And so I'm screaming 
bloody murder, and that's when the guy came in the first time and told this guy, what are you doing? So he pulled Marv out, and that's when I started giving him shit about this, and that's when he started talking deliverance, and wow. they ended up leaving. Uh, you know, the story went on from there. I ended up being really tortured by that guy for another two years. That's going to be basically what the second book uh, kind of starts with. That's kind of the beginning story of that. But I ended up going after this guy for two years, this Antichrist crazy dude that tortured people up here forever. A very infamous guy. And uh, he finally died. He became a snitch. The, the Hells Angels weren't, nobody was really sure whether the Hells Angels did him in or the, or the feds because he'd become a snitch and was turning people in. And then he was, he was basically electrocuting people, hooking them up to batteries and, uh, and doing things that nobody could deal with them anymore. So nobody knows who did him, but he finally died. And uh, I didn't. And uh, not that I ever beat this guy because he tortured the crap out of me for a couple more years, but I out-survived him. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, and that's the thing is people, uh, you know, quickly forget that how, how unprotected we were in this industry, you know what I mean? And now it's kind of like when I first moved to Holland and, you know, like I got my place broken into and was like, Ooh, what do I do? Do I go to the cops or not? And they're like, yeah, you should go to the cops. Tell them, you know, and it was like, that's just so out of my realm. You know what I mean? I'd be like, no, I can't, I can't, I, I didn't do it in the end just cause I couldn't, couldn't get right. myself to go down there and say, but they're like, yeah, sure. You could, I mean, it was just such a different mentality. And now, uh, you know, there's been robberies here in Colorado, not, not to the extent that, that, uh, you know, they didn't really go very far because most people didn't, didn't it's like get it. like just any... robbing a retail store. Well, it's also mm -hmm. because the dispensaries, unless you rob them during the daytime when they're there, everything's locked up in a giant fucking safe anyway, and it's sure. all under camera. So most people don't get anything. They steal a few pounds of weed or whatever they can grab, and that's about it. Um, but, you know, it, it nobody's going to not report that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It has to be reported, and it's just a normal thing now. But yeah, it's it sounds like that was a crazy event right there, and that's and that's I'm sure for the, for I the yeah I didn't sleep right for about three or four years after that. I woke up with the sweats, and uh, yeah, yeah, it was a pretty. Uh, I mean, I understand what people go through with PTSD and uh, yeah, that whatnot. Is, that is when PTSD. You things like that it emotionally you know traumatize you. For sure. What happened to the guy that um, got hurt in the end? Is he still alive or community? Uh, he was traumatized for about three years. Uh, he went. Um, in fact, the funny part of that story as it goes on is that Mike liked it so much. This was a sadistic person. He calls us the next day and wants us to, he wants to help us find the people that did this. So right. he's on the phone. My friend has run off to get medical help. They've taken him out that night, taken him out of the county. But he told the cops where it had happened. So they called me up wanting to investigate this attempted murder. And so I've got the cop on the line. I've got Mike on hold on the other line. And I'm like, Mike, hold on a minute. i got the sheriff's on the other line. And then I'm telling the sheriff's, the guy's like, okay, what's going on with this? And I'm saying, of course. I don't know what you're talking about. This didn't happen. My friend was delirious. I think it happened down the road. And I said, hold on a minute. I'm on the phone with Mike. And I'm saying, Mike, you did it now. The sheriffs are coming up here. You hurt the wrong guy. And there's nothing I can do about it. And he's like, really? And I'm like, you know, so I've got these two phone calls going at the same time telling the cops that I know nothing about it. Yeah. And Mike, that he's in for it. And wow. that was the beginning of about a two-year battle with him. Uh, my friend did not come near Mendocino County for three years until Mike died. Uh, he was even more traumatized. And... Uh, He's okay now, but uh, he didn't. He didn't live in these mountains until Mike died. And then, uh, most people was kind of the wicked witch of the east. Until Mike died, uh, people were traumatized. He'd been torturing people up here for about thirty years. Wow. Well, then, and the, and uh, to top it off, he never got to even smoke out of that bong. That's terrible. <laughs> I got a brand new bong, and I never got to try it. Smashed on my head. That's that's terrible. On his thirtieth birthday. Yeah. On his birthday, yeah. dude. Yeah. Just to top it off. the pieces with this thing. Damn, that guy deserves yeah, a new bong. Sure, sure. Adam. <laughs> That'll make it all right. I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, 
So there were obviously it wasn't all. Th- thanks, Nick Vitus, for opening that can of worms. Yeah, that was a that, that, was that a- got dark. <laughs> um, there were good times too, though. Obviously, that's why you hung in, right? Like, uh, oh yeah, I mean, there's there was a, you know, I look back on it. I'm I'm proud of you know of what I've done and where I've been. The nine point three one program, all this activist stuff, getting Tom Allman elected, helping uh, you know fight for the legalization efforts. You know, being an outlaw all those years, uh, you know, there was a lot, of, a lot of wonderful moments, and I wouldn't change a thing. Even that moment with Mike, you know, everything's a lesson in life. You learn from everything, and, uh, you know, I learned quite a bit from that, and a lot of wisdom that came out of that. So, you know, it was a dark moment, but, you know, for the most part, uh, most of us living under the umbrella of an illegal industry all those years, we did have a tough life. We were always feared, fearful of being hunted down. We had to live with our families, not being able to tell anybody what we did not being able to spend money, like you said, because of the whole taxation thing. I mean, it was a tough way to live. I mean, if you talk to anybody that's my age, we would have gladly paid taxes and just done it out in the open if we could have. But we couldn't. We're here today. It's a brave new world. It's a wonderful time for everybody. And all these younger people get the benefit of what we've done so that uh, they can do it in a way that they don't have to deal with those kinds of issues. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, hopefully we're doing our part to help let them be aware of it, make them aware of it. Because I think to a large part it goes, you know, it's something of I'm excited to see the heritage, uh, the heritage represented in cannabis, you know, in the branding and things like that as it goes out to California. Because we don't get it here, Colorado. You know, no one's, no one's really, uh, no one's really connecting and letting people know what's been going on for you know the past thirty years. Yeah. Like 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 uh, we always say, Mitch and I are always talking about our kids. You know, like our kids are going to grow up and they're going to read about the history of cannabis and be like, wow, you know, you had to, what did you do? How did you, how did you do this? You know what I mean? And it's like such a mystery. Even when, even when I lived in Holland, uh, a lot of the young Dutch kids were like going to America for the first time when they were say 17 or they're like, what do I do? How do I get weed when I get there? And I'm like, you just got to like start looking around, you know, this is like the old school. Like, wait, how do you do this? You know, they couldn't get their head around it because they could go to a store their whole entire life. And I think that's going to be the obvious future of America, too, is that there'll be a, a cannabis store in every town, and people just will wonder. They'll be like, then they'll, you know, 20 years from now, they'll be like, really? How did you do we'll that? We'll do HBO series about it or yeah, something. how to right? score weed back in the day. I always tell everybody, the people who made the most money off of weed back in the day were probably the telephone company because people called so many people to try to score weed <laughs> and they had to pay for those calls back in the day. It wasn't like a one rate for everything. Right. And then, I mean, gas, because I used to drive like 200 miles for an ounce of weed sometimes and it was such a shitty ounce that I would end up buying it anyway because it drove 200 miles. You know what I mean? Like, God damn it, you know? So, yeah, back in the day, it was like a lot different than than people even, you know, comprehend because now it's like everything's at Facebook post away or uh you know internet you can f- already experience the place before you've ever even been I there. did a virtual tour I yeah did, I did a, did virtual, a virtual, virtual shelf tour exactly yeah. exactly um so let's talk about emerald cup man you uh you started that what was the goal when you started it what was your your intention you had this idea you i mean you just want to smoke a bunch of weed what was the plan well i grew up like most people going to the cannabis or not cannabis but the country fairs throughout you know california and I love the sights and the sounds and the smells. And it was kind of like, why don't we you know, do that for cannabis? Why can't we have that for cannabis? That whole black sheep of the family thing. So we decided just not to stand down and, and do an event at one and have that celebration with a friendly competition. And so we did. You know, a couple hundred people came and uh, we had a 
you know, a couple dozen entries, and it was a wonderful moment. John Trudell, who just recently passed, he was the, the headliner that night. He came in and uh, played for us, and uh, it was a it was a really it felt like we were getting away with something because you know we were doing something that uh, up until that time was just not allowed, and we were really proud of that. And over the years, it just grew and grew, and we started adding on uh, the workshops and the speakers uh, coming in, and moved the material up in Garberville to do a bigger show and. It just got bigger and bigger. John Vergato from Skunk Magazine, uh, you know, a good friend who's under uh, under arrest. He's been pressed with charges for uh, for basically being one of the largest seed dealers in the world. He's going to be in court on December 11th, even though it's going legal there. They're still charging him. And he came in and said, you know, I I've been to this place and I helped with this show and I really see that the Emerald Cup could be that if you'd move it out of the out of the triangle to a bigger place. And I didn't know what Spanibus was at the time, but he said. Uh, you know, this thing called Spanibus, I see that the Emerald Cup could be that, even bigger, because you're in Northern California where it's even more relevant than Spanibus. And, and uh, that's what we did. He, he talked me into going down to Santa Rosa. The Santa Rosa Fairgrounds, Sonoma County uh, folks down there took a flyer on us. We made a 20-page proposal about putting on a Canvas Country Fair there. And they said, if you'll do that, we'll, we'll take the heat and we'll let you come down here. And if you put on a real, you know, Country Fair feel, which is all organic food and, you know, good, good music and... Uh, you know, a real nice environment for people to come in and feel comfortable with. Uh, we'll, we'll front you guys. And they've done that, and we've been there. It's our third year. They've nice. already given us our date for next year. They kicked high times out because they didn't like the feel of that show. They won't let them come back. And uh, they said, we want you to be the show. And, of course, Sonoma County is the forefront. They're the largest uh, place in the country for tourism, for vineyards, uh, for the bike racing, uh, for breweries, microbreweries, Lagunitas, largest, largest in the country, small brewery. And they're very forward-thinking people. I used to drive by Sonoma County all those years and think, oh, it was just a ball-hunk place. But now I've come to really respect that and respect the people down there, realize they do just as much farming down there. And, uh, you know, I, I love the place. So I've fallen in love with the, uh, the people and the, the fairgrounds and the show, and everybody likes coming there because it does feel like you're at, you're at a county fair. Yeah. And so... Uh, yeah. This year we'll have 300-something booths. Uh, we'll have 24 organic food vendors. I tell people, there isn't a place you can go, I don't know of anywhere really in the country, that has that many organic food vendors where every bit of food on that property is going to be organic. We have to pay like $15,000 so that the fairgrounds doesn't sell Lay's potato chips and hot dogs. Nice. And, and uh, nice. you know, so it's really nice. And so people come in and they, uh, they get to see the farmers, they get to see the culture, they give all the speakers and stages and the music, and uh, it's a wonderful event. No, and it's good. It's a great fairground too. Um, You've been there, yeah. I've been there before, and it's definitely it's definitely a, a perfect environment for proper it. like, f- yeah, no, yeah. County exactly, fair vibe, exactly yeah. what you want. Now, do they do you do you pull a lot of just uh, tourists and lo- uh, locals? I should say, like not necessarily cannabis industry folk, as well. Yeah, we go to a lot of uh, effort in marketing to invite uh, people that aren't in the industry to come in and 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 feel what's going on to come in and learn and get educated because with the medicinal aspects coming in, every family's got somebody that needs cannabis for medicine, even if they're not looking at it for adult use and want to get high. And so we really do a lot of advertising outside the traditional markets because we want a mix of everybody. So when you go down there, it really feels like that. You look around, you got people from all over the country, you got, you know, straight people, you've got, you know, all the farmers, you've got all the patients. And so it's a great mix of, it's kind of Americana, you is know, it like and, a family-friendly uh, vibe? Yeah, it's got a family-friendly vibe, and it, it's going to be what cannabis evolves into as people realize it's safe to do and it's, there's nothing wrong with it and they don't have to worry about it anymore. It's going to become mainstream America, and that's kind of what we're doing. We're leading the way into that. 
Yeah, I um, I mean, I think once uh, we always say like when it's like farming, like because it's it's farming. When it becomes farming, like all other farming, that means it's it's where it needs to be. And and I think the culture around it is will move away from like I don't know. You don't see the egotism around tomatoes that you see around cannabis. You don't see the like a lot of there's not, a, there's not, a, there's not an Instagram war on tomatoes. No, I don't. Oh, come on. I mean, there it's, probably it's gotta is. There's got to be. There's got to be. But I guess. It has it, it has something to do with more young men grow cannabis than any other crop right now. I feel like, but at the same time, uh, I think when it when it really truly takes its place, it's there's no reason cannabis culture shouldn't be this wholesome thing. There's no reason it should be risque. Well, or you know whatever. the difference is, I mean, like like we're we're just so brainwashed because nobody feels weird drinking a beer in front of their kid and like at a, at a fairground, you know, like hey, the kid's eating some cotton candy and I'm drinking a beer and right. nobody's freaking out, you know what I mean and. And, you know, with cannabis, it's always the, the smoke issue, of course, and you just don't, you know, they, you'd have, you know, you, you, you have to kind of be logical about it. You're not going to be holding the kid right up in right. your face and you blowing know, smoke. Boxing on, yeah, hot boxing a kid. But they could be in the same fairgrounds, you know what I mean? There's definitely ways to do it and make it work. I don't, I'm, this is an, yours is an 18 plus show, right? I mean, it's not like you can't bring. It is now. Last year we, last year we weren't, uh, we let kids in, but not in the 215 area, but the fairgrounds in the community were worried about photo shots with a lot of kids and just what the, you know, what the interpretation might be. So they sure. asked us to be 18 and above. Yeah. Um, we'd like to change that because we have a lot of speakers that are children with me- medical problems and medical challenges. Right. But, um, like I said, the, the thing that you said the most that's, that's the Emerald Cup is that unlike the other shows, it's really an agricultural gathering. It's around farming. It's yeah. around the growers. Yep. And that's primarily, that's what it is. It's a contest. And so what you go, you feel there is it's not just like a High Times or HempCon or something. It's got that you know country fair feel to it because it's all about the bud. Yeah. It's all about the flowers. Yeah. You know, and so people feel that when they come out there. And all the speakers, we're teaching them the latest techniques in, in farming, organic, sustainable growing. And so everybody's there to learn that. So it's just got a different vibe. It's not just a party vibe. It's, it's an educational vibe, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and the oh, thing yeah. is that most, most growers are, you know, hopefully open to learning, too. You know, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they think they got it all down and they don't need to learn anything. But it is uh, whenever you have – you know that many people especially when you're talking thousands and thousands of growers there is always something to learn there you know what i mean if you can't learn in that group then a lot of bad information too <laughs> hey you could definitely get some bad information too but but, yeah, you, but the results learn. are there that's the difference is you can True look that. at people's results and you know and, and that's kind of where it all starts you know yeah. the, the conversation at least yeah well they're not going to be able to do a lot of the, the farming techniques they've done in the past with pesticides and and chemicals and stuff because now at the open market it's all going to be tested yeah and so i've been telling these guys so it's the end of the road for some of these poor farming techniques you're going to really have to step up your game and they realize it so now they want to know how to do compost teas and they want to come out and learn how to do proper you know fertilizers without using the, you know number you know the blue and the reds and the greens and stuff so uh, they're learning very quickly that they've got to step up a game and they and they want to come down they can come down and deal with the very best you know teachers in the field jeffrey lowenfels and and all the rest of the people coming in to speak. So um, it's great. I see it, and uh, it's like nobody's being chastised. It's like, okay, whatever you did, that's what you were, but it matters who you are now. Did you guys ever uh, have so any – like, Did you guys ever have any kind of, like, uh, uh, backlash at all in the first couple events when, when they were still back at your spot? Like, was it all – is it – was it all, you know, just – Did you just, ever have any issue or it was all – Because we have all issues here with every event cannabis-related, it seems like. Knock on wood, not ours. Uh, no, we, we – the only event that we had was that uh, the third year, uh, 
the CHPs uh, came out. We were take, took over the road. It was so big. And this redneck guy comes up, and I'm standing out front, and he's trying to get those cars off. And he's like, and all these cars here, and these cars are driving by him with smoke coming out of the cars. And he goes, and smell that. All this pot coming out of these cars. They're getting on the highway. And just then, my MC was announcing the winners. And he's like, and a purple Kush number three. And he's like, and I don't even know what's going on in there. He goes, you get this thing cleaned up, or I'm going to come back with an army and take you all out. Right. And uh, we got it cleaned up. He went away. They didn't want to hassle us. And, uh, and from there on, they just uh, they came back each year and just said, look, we don't want to bother you. We just, just do it right. Keep off the roads and, uh, and don't bother anybody. And, and so we've never, in fact, at Sonoma, we haven't had one DUI. The cops have come out and realized that we're a very harmless group of people. Yeah. Like I keep telling them, look, cannabis people, we don't start fights. We're not in there gangbanging. You know, we're just here to have a good time. We're going to find that out. So the police I've dealt with extensively in Sonoma are like, it's one of the easiest, easiest events they deal with. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we know that from every cannabis event. It's always... It's always like uh, here they do the Great American Beer Fest here, and of course we have our 420 and stuff like that. And uh, Great American Beer Fest, there's always like 300 arrests for fighting. And yeah, I mean know, the numbers, like, and they never talk about it. But then the cannabis ones, yeah, we very rarely see any kind of incidences. And if it is, it's usually, uh, you know, a lot of times it's harassment situations and stuff, just because they're expecting the worst. You know what I mean? So they kind of have to like grab one or two people on the way out. You know, but but for the most part, yeah, we don't we don't see too much. We very rarely see any kind of incidences. Yeah, the only we have is we got to be careful on the edibles so somebody doesn't get too high and just yeah. pass out. Yeah, it's happened with dabs too. We've seen we've seen people I mean, drop from dabs. Definitely people drop, and that's and it was weird too. There was like one, and like it, it depends if it's in the sun and it's hot. Yeah, in day the sun, and you don't have water. Boom. Yeah, then you see it coming. Um, so anything else? Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, we still got. We're only an hour fifteen into the show. Yeah, we got a lot. We got, we a lot. got a lot to cover. <laughs> I mean, I want to talk about the book. Uh, exactly. You know, the book that you are putting out. Um, I don't know if you want to read anything from it. I don't know uh, if you can tell us widely where it's available. What inspired you to do? I mean, obviously, you got stories. I, I, I would do a book if I was you too. Well, I um, after uh, about twenty five years ago. I'd gone through a situation where I was possibly facing 10 to 20 years. And uh, I got out of that situation. And uh, it's kind of a whole story that came back around. And I realized at that time I really wanted to write about this industry and how it all evolved and what had happened. I wrote that back then. And then I, I rewrote it. I put it out at 9-11. But I got turned down by about 20 publishers. The founder of uh, the developer of Esquire magazine was going along for a trip to India with my friend and asked if he could read it. And he said it's... There's no dialogue. It's really quirky. He said, don't anybody touch it. He said, there's seven regressions within a story. He said, it's the strangest little thing I've ever seen, but it'll be great. Well, I put it out at 9-11. It got rejected by about 20 people, so it just went into hibernation. And then it wasn't the right time. So about a year ago, a friend of mine asked if he could, a scriptwriter asked if he could look at it. And uh, I showed it to him, and he said, you know, this is a great story. It just needs to be edited down and, and cut down. And so a friend of mine, Tom Bocci, who was the right arm for Blake Edwards for all the Pink Panther movies, uh, dealt with about 2,000 scripts, and he's a college professor. He asked if he could help me edit it, and uh, between he and my friend Randy and a couple of us, we sat down for about four months, and I never thought I'd get it in time for the cut this year uh, at all, uh, but we ended up really cutting that story down from 260,000 words to about 150,000 words and really tightening it all up. It was kind of a shamanic recapitulation, really, is what it is. When you die, you get to recapitulate your life with your angels and guides without your ego. If you read Daniel Brinkley's books or any of these books, like Saved by the Light, you know, so you get to sit down with your ego, without your ego and look at your life. And so that's what I did. 
And I actually channeled my grandfather, who was a Harvard, Harvard-educated lawyer and had the first newspaper in Santa Clara Valley, worked with Mark Twain. He comes through me, and I put headphones on, I play music, and, and I just channel the writing. And uh, it's a really interesting process that I do, and it just that's how I can bring it right back to the, the perspective it is. It can become real time, even though it's so long ago. Sure. And so I rewrote this thing, and uh, I didn't think we'd get it done in time, and all of a sudden we were going to go out, people were going to publish it, but it was like, why don't we just throw this thing out there? My friend John at Skunk said he'd do an excerpt from it, and uh, I had some other people because of all our media context that they'd, they'd put it out there, and we had the Emerald Cup. So I just threw it together, formatted it. We we uh, got it printed, and uh, we're taking a thousand copies to the cup, and I've got people reading it all over, and I'm going to have a bunch of people reviewing it, and uh, we just had to rather than wait, we just did it. So uh, yeah, it's called the Cannabis Crusader: uh, A Spiritual Journey into One Man's Lifelong Dedication to His Medicine. So it's basically uh, the story of the '70s, '80s, and early '90s about how cannabis was and what happened and evolved in the whole industry along my lifeline, with all these stories about UFOs and all the interactions I've had with uh, not only UFOs, but all these spiritual beings, because I, I basically was kind of a spiritual junkie my whole life, where I, some people go follow rock stars, I go follow the very highest spiritual beings, you know, whether they're channelers or whether they were uh, different forms of mastery. And, and so I, I basically talk about some of these people. One guy's a spirit guide drawer named Stan Maturik, who's passed on, but he'd done 100,000 drawings, and he would he would channel a world toward two deceased uh, veterans through his arm, and he would be scribbling a painting of one of your spirit guides. He would tell you your seven main guides, your seven upper guides, and he'd have them all written down on a piece of paper. And then he'd be channeling one of these pictures as he was telling you things about yourself. And he liked calling them zingers because they weren't future predictions. They were like right then, like maybe you're having migraine headaches every day, yeah. and he'd bring it up or he'd tell you it's something like about your mom. It's like calling out a thing no one knows about. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those and so are he'd be telling you this, and he'd be scribbling it, and he'd never even be looking at this painting. And 40 minutes later, I love to watch the reactions from people. Because he turned this around, and people were going to be sure that it was going to be some gibberish painting. Right. And it would be like a complete masterpiece of one of your spear guides, wow. down to the T, every detail. And he would have never even looked at this thing. I watched him probably do several hundred of these drawings, and I never ceased to be amazed at his ability to do that drawing without looking at it more than a couple seconds at a time. And uh, so I talk about Stan in there, and uh, he came to me, and, and uh, I'd been arrested. It was one of these times I'd been arrested, and he... Um, I, I didn't tell him about it. I was at work furlough, and, and he came and said to me, he said, oh, you're, you're, it's different now. You're alone now. And he said, you're crying yourself to sleep, right, Timmy? And I'd say, yes, Dan. I was in jail at the time, work furlough. And he said, you know, I don't know what it is, but you're really distraught. You're crying yourself to sleep, but your angels and guides want you to know they're getting in bed and wrapping their arms around you, and they're, and they're holding you until you go to bed. Is that okay? And I'd be like, I mean, this guy is so legendary and world-class. I'd be like, yes, Dan, that's, that's really great. And then he'd say, you know, you started writing that book, huh? And uh, I said, yeah, I did start writing that book, Stan. He goes, well, he goes, your grandfather's a writer, huh? I didn't even know my grandfather was writing through me at the time. He goes, your grandfather's a writer. I said, yeah, he is a writer. And he goes, well, he's here on the other side, and he wants to know, he wants to write that book with you. Is it okay? And I said, wow, Stan, of course it'd be okay. And my grandfather was deceased, and Stan didn't even know he was a writer. And he said, he's going to write that second book with you, too. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, Stan would do those types of things that would just give you tingles up your spine and blow your mind. And he'd come back year after year, and you'd have your paper with like 10 or 12 guides on it, and he would have done five or six. Now, he would have done like ten or 15,000 drawings in that year. And he'd come back, and he'd sit down and say, well, your, your nurse, your, your nun is done, Agnes, and your, your Aztec guy is done, and your, your Islamic priest is done, and you look at your list, and they'd all be checked off. And then he'd go, 
well, your, your Christian monk wants to be drawn right now. And you'd look down and you'd have one space for the Christian monk that hadn't been drawn yet. Right. He'd go, he he's sitting here right now, he's ready to sit down. And you'd look up at your list and just go, how could a person do this? I mean, I probably looked at, I probably worked with 150 different channelers and mediums and stuff, and maybe only five or 10 were brilliant. But the ones that were that brilliant blew your mind, and Stan was in the top, you know, top three. And so, you know, I talk about him and talk about all the UFO stories. I've been interacting with UFOs my whole life. I've you hear a lot encounters. of UFO stories up there. That's, hmm? You hear a lot of UFO stories up there. Uh, in North Carolina. I started having them as a kid. Yeah, I started having them when I was a kid, uh, before the whole Zeta Reticuli thing. Uh, I spent $150,000 developing a UFO show before sightings came on, and I was told by John Lear that I was going to get myself hurt if I, if I didn't back off, so... I wasn't connected, and uh, that was before all these shows came out, and they really bring us up to speed. But uh, I've had so many interactions that they're they're all in the story too. A lot of it with cannabis. So basically, I'm going along with this kind of wild cannabis lineage of the 70s and 90s as I'm regressing into these spiritual stories and hopefully teaching people some things about spirituality and and God and stuff. And it just all links up into the end uh, with me doing a, you know 5,000 plant crop in the valley when we were first doing big crops down in San Joaquin Valley and. And uh, some big grows up here at the same time. And you have some. I guess, you have. Uh, is there like a lot of photos in the book? Is there photos with, or is it just sort not, of? Well, it's not not in this one here. You got to remember back then, people didn't take a lot of photos. I know sure. that's what I mean. So <laughs> it'd be like one or two if you had it. You know, that's that's one hundred percent. It's more dangerous. Oh, to... no, I have a couple. I've looked. I've got a couple of pictures of me as a younger person with really long hair standing in a greenhouse, and I, I was going to go look for those. We just didn't have quite enough time. But uh, it's funny, even with the first. Um, Emerald Cup, we've gone back to find pictures and posters and information, and we didn't have any. It was all underground. Yeah. So we don't even have a poster of the first year's Emerald Cup. Right. No, that no, I've no. got any. There's a few left out there, but I don't have one. Yeah, I know. Whenever you're doing stuff like that, because I helped organize cups back in 93 or so, and I don't even have any of the original material either. It's like, oh, damn, I should have kept some of that stuff, you know? But uh, hopefully somebody out there does. Yeah, there's there's someone. some Someone who has that memory. Yeah. Really. I'm going to put it up on the sites and try to find that first year's poster because even if we have to get a copy of it, I'd yeah. like to have it. We have all the other posters, and uh, that's the one year I'm missing. And with the fact that John Trudell headlined that, and uh, he's on the poster, and he's just recently passed, I'd, I'd love to have that for. Uh, well, that's for, something for uh, the listeners out there. Yeah, we'll put the listeners on it. <laughs> they'll, they'll bike find it now. Yeah, we exactly. we got some resourceful internet listeners uh, that that tend to track things down pretty well. So we'll keep you in touch on that. Um, so, uh, how long is the book? How many pages does it come out to after uh, the cuts? Yeah, I think it's about 317. I think nice. it's the very last piece. I, I haven't seen a finished copy of it. I put an epilogue at the end, and uh, I had three people. We were working on it. Of course, like a lot of things, we had uh, deadlines we had to get to, and we would work basically for – I had got up at 4 in the morning every night, for every day for two months, and then we worked for three days straight with almost no sleep to actually just get it done so we could get it into Amazon and get it to Skunk Magazine and get it printed in time for the cup. So uh, it was a whirlwind to pull that off. And uh, uh, it was exciting. I feel really good about it. It's one of those things on a bucket list that you always want to get done. And uh, I can check that one off. And I can't wait to uh, write the second one. I've already written that story about the bathtub scene, and that's what's going to open the second book. Although I don't want to make people think it's all about uh, violence, because it's really not. But uh, but people do like uh, exciting, thrilling stories to go with uh, the rest of It's a great way to get so, them hooked in the beginning, uh, that's for sure. Sounds like another Netflix uh, yeah. deal. Right yeah, there. you got a Netflix deal right there. <laughs> yeah. um, 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm definitely telling Adam right now, uh, Bud, you better bring me back a copy of that book from Emerald Cup. I don't know if you're... Yeah. I, ho- I, I hope you're listening to me. Are you coming out, Adam? You're coming yeah. out, right? Yeah, I'll be, I'll be leaving tomorrow. He's, leaving, he's heading out tomorrow. I'm heading out tomorrow morning. So we saved you a top 50 judges pack so you could do your own judging. Yeah. yeah sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Uh, we get it down... To- the judging goes for 400. We get it down to a top 50, and then we bring it to a top 20. Yep. So I thought we'd start with the top 50 so you could do your own judging and come up with your own top 20. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, we're going to be on the air for the next two days, too, so we're going to be doing uh, four you do, hours each night. broadcasting from there? Broadcasting from there, nice. yeah, four hours each night. Solo? So, hand solo right here. Seriously? You, you haven't seen the lineup yet, though? No. i got 12 different people rolling through. i got, yeah. I got, you got a huge... You got a good one going? Yeah, you'll see. Caesar nice. now is making it right. Nice. He's making it work. Um... What, can you go over the book title again for us, Tim? Yeah, it's called The Cannabis Crusader, A Spiritual Journey into One Man's Lifelong Dedication to His Medicine. And you can find that right on Amazon? Yeah. In fact, you know what? Wait a minute. <laughs> I, we changed that title at the very end. You can find it on Amazon. The, the original title of the book was Dancing with the Feds, The Spiritual that, yeah, Adventures of the Marijuana Man. That's the one that I had seen online and posted. Is that not the one it, yeah, it went to print under? Yeah, no. but the marijuana man is kind of uh, it's it's you know it's a derogatory term and stuff. So actually, we changed it. It's called the Cannabis Crusader, dancing with the feds, a spiritual journey into one man's lifelong dedication to his medicine. Get it all in there. Yeah, <laughs> get it all in well, there. You know, subtitles. I love sub subtitles. We had to have the dancing with the feds was kind of like I've been dancing with the feds. That's what it's about. Right. Um, and I didn't want to be the Cannabis Crusader like it was just a. Uh, an activist story or something because it isn't. It was dancing with the feds. That's what I was doing for those thir- 30 years in there. And then the spiritual journey had to come in because I had to like be able to, to show people it was dancing with the feds and it's a spiritual journey so they know what they're getting. Yeah. No, I think it's great. I'm definitely looking forward to the copy Adam brings me home. There you go. <laughs> of course. Um, so let's, uh, we talked about the book. Let's talk about this year's Emerald Cup. Uh, what are you excited about, man? Well, um, I'm really excited about uh, the speakers coming out. Uh, in the past, you know, a couple of years, they've gotten better and better. We've got Robert Clark coming out, Ken McTurner, and we've got these people, all the best breeders and geneticists coming in. We've got the Odomov, who's the State Board of Equalization, coming out. Uh, we've got congressmen joining us. We've got, uh, you know, of course, the best uh, breeders and the doctors and scientists and lawyers. So the speakers and panels are just getting better. And in the last couple of years, I've had to do so much work, I haven't got to see one show. Of course, we film them all, put them on the sites, but I haven't been able to even shake hands or say thanks to any of the people who have joined us. So I've got full-time operations people now, and I've got full-time marketing people. I'm not just doing interviews. I'm cutting back all the interviews during the show so I can spend time with the people at the show. And so what I'm looking forward to is actually being able to spend time with people and all the uh, the speakers and be able to enjoy the show a little bit after several years of basically running like mad just to handle all the details and hotspots. That's great. I've never gotten to that point yet and with course, any of my events. No, that's the problem. Yeah, of course, good too. Whenever you run your own thing like that, it's like you're you know you, you you're you're running you hear your name said so many times that you go like ah you're like oh my god I can't ever never relax you know the minute you think you're gonna. Take a take a moment to relax or some fire to put out somewhere or something. The but, only day I don't smoke any herb is yeah, barely. on my own events because I'm just running around. And I leave and drinks start. everywhere. I'm, always, I'm the guy who always has one sip and then I leave it somewhere uh-huh. and I run off to the next thing. And I'm like, man, I'd... yeah, it's, but it's. You guys do shows. What's that? 
you, you obviously do shows because I don't smoke when the show's going on or I wouldn't be able to just keep up with it. And I leave drinks everywhere. People realize I have about 24 drinks in different places. Exactly. Yep. That's me. <laughs> That's me in a nutshell right there. They're like, what's up? Didn't you have one? I'm like, nah, dude, just keep keeping That going. one's long gone. Yeah, I, grab another. I get one sip if I'm lucky out of everyone. You should just bring me a little shot glass because that's all I'm going to take. And then I'll just leave an empty shot glass. But it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, one of those. Gonna... It is nice to do though, because you know, whenever you organize a bunch of people uh, and they have a good time like that, you know, the whole thing about it is like a lot of times people are like, "Yeah, this can make so much money," and I'm like, you know what? It it it, it all is about breaking even in the beginning, and and it all comes after that. If you lose money on an event, that's when it's a problem. That's right. some, as long some, as you break even. As long first as, and breaking even is a great feeling uh, when everybody has a great time. They all got fed and drank and eaten and things, and you didn't lose any money. And the and sponsors, all, uh, sponsors are good, and everybody's happy. But it, it's such a balancing act and it's one of those things when you're organizing events that people again just like a cannabis related thing it's like they're calculating oh you made this much money off of every person but they don't understand that to do a good show you really got to spend a, a lot of money and the thing is it's it's not you, you got to be thinking ahead you can't like oh we need this because it's going to do this you know especially in outdoor events i mean i lived in in the netherlands which it rains 300 days out of the year so if you do an outdoor event there and you don't have a tent then you're you're going to go out of business real quick because there's <laughs> going to be a storm guaranteed you know what i mean and in, and in colorado same thing like i've tried to do outdoor indoor outdoor events there and it's like i buy a new tent every i buy a new tent covers and i'm like it's unbelievable because it's snow. I mean, we had snow in April during the Cannabis Cup here. Nobody predicted it. And all of a sudden, we had a blizzard in April, you know? And it was like, oh, my God. And I just happened to rent all these tents. Everything worked out. But I spent the whole week shoveling snow pretty much. I was the guy shoveling the snow and in the corner. And then it was, yeah, it's rough. So luckily, you have no snow. Oh, yeah. No snow predictions. We do snow here in the, in, the, in the winter. It's December. Up here, we've had uh, snow come down on us at the Emerald Cup. We've had frozen pipes. I had pipes that were so frozen, I had to bring in water. And before the cooks could cook, that water froze. And uh, we've had them where they pulled so much rain, all the tents have been blown over. In fact, I've almost lost three or four Emerald Cups up here just to the hazards of trying to do a show in the winter. Now, with uh, Sonoma County, last year we had a deluge three days before the show. It was like six inches deep. And then it just parted and opened up so we could actually put the show on. I thought it was going to almost be canceled. This year, we've moved everything inside. They've given us the whole fairgrounds, everything but the food and the walkways. And we're going to have trams and covered tents to move people, um, although it doesn't look like we're going to get much rain. Um, we're going to be able to put the show on from now on. All the 215s inside, uh, nice. we don't have those issues anymore. Uh, but it's, it's challenging to put a show on in December mm -hmm. and count on the weather. Huge, yeah. I mean, that's that's also like you know huge risk, but also you had a huge cost too. And, and then again, people sort of you know they appreciate it when you do a good job. They definitely don't appreciate it if you don't don't do your job. Yeah. You know that's and it's terrible to see a lot of these events that where um, people just don't understand that you really gotta when you have a large number of people like that. It's just you gotta really be on your toes the whole day and dealing with local authorities and dealing with the whole you know the. Just from the parking and the driving and the, everybody trying to get in and out and keeping everybody happy. So I know you got a tough week ahead, that's for sure. Or weekend, I should this say. This show went from, it was about 40000 the last year at, at Area 101. It became 80000 the first year we were at the Mateel Center. It was four twenty two years ago, about four twenty five. the first year at the fairgrounds. Last year it was a $725,000 show. And this year it's a million, too. Yeah. And I, don't have, I haven't had huge sponsorship until this year. 
We've done it all bootstrapped. And I've never made any money on the show. No, you make the love. money on the sponsors. So- That's what we learned really early. You make all the money on the sponsors. Yeah, if if any. I mean, and it's yeah, even, yeah, if you're it's, making money, it's on sponsors. And it's yeah. not really even about that. They just save the day because without good sponsorship, you can't do an event. You know what I mean? Right. That's like that's like your key to the whole thing is to making is it having like one or two anchor sponsors that are there to hold uh, hold the lines. You know what I mean? And then a bunch of smaller ones that fill in the gaps. But it's so hard. That's like the hardest thing to do is to get those people to to totally be there for you when they have to write the check because it's all great when they're like yeah yeah sure then you know it's like okay well time to pay it's 10 grand or whatever and it's like that those are the people that actually those little chunks because everything else is is just to maintain the 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 grounds and the things right you know so yeah i know i know it's it's a challenge yeah but this year we've had uh between sponsors and vendors we've pulled in about three quarters of a million dollars uh, so it's really been an amazing step up where people are, I mean, Eden Farms, uh, Absolute Extracts, SC Labs, uh, Weedman Labs, people putting up 30 or 40 grand to name stages and stuff. It's been a humbling experience to see so many people step up. But at the same time, we've put more money into everything. So uh, it's breaking breaking it even on, on really on the overall effect. I've got to still sell, you know, 12,000 tickets just to break even. Right. And we're only selling, you know, 16. So. I'm only if I if I sell every ticket out, you know, I'll be lucky to make a couple hundred thousand dollars by the time I pay taxes. I'll be making 150 grand. But as it is, you know, I'm just hoping to break even and make a few bucks. And uh, I'm just so thankful for all those sponsors that have stepped up and given us the ability to put the show on because we don't spare any expense. I mean, High Times and all the rest of them, God bless them, but they're walking out with a million dollars on those shows because they're not giving people, you know, chairs to sit on. They're not giving them. But we, we, we give out 10 pounds of entry bud to people. We give VIP packs. People think I make money off the bud. We had 110 pounds of bud entered in the contest last year, and we gave it away to all the VIPs, all the, all the musicians, all mm-hmm. the, the people in the, in the uh, crews, everywhere else. We just hand it all back. We pay our people, and then my daughter and I, Taylor, who's my co-producer, I think she made like uh, less than 4000 a month working full-time on that show, and I didn't even make that much. And... Uh, but with all the sponsors and vendors that have come in this year, uh, we've sold out everything. And people have finally realized uh, uh, the difference between our show and the rest of them. So they're, they're not uh, taking time to step up. They've actually, you know, Eden Farms gave us forty grand. We got absolute 30000 bucks at us. There's a number of others that uh, really came in generously and said, hey, we want to be part of this show. We want to help you. And we want to be able to call this our own. So we got people putting on pre-parties, after-parties, during-parties. They're all putting the money up, and uh, that's one of the touching things that's happened over the last couple of years is to see the people wanting to claim part of the ownership of the Cup as a community event that they're proud of. And, I mean, I heard the phrase covered trams, and I realized it was a whole different class of event than anything High Times has ever done. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right, to get around. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, we, didn't want to, we wanted to make sure that if there was rain, because we, we took over the little cow palace, which is about uh, 300 yards from the Grace Pavilion. And if there was rain, we didn't want anybody to be wet. So we put up tents on each end, and we got a 40-person tram to run back and forth so that people don't have to ever get wet, and they go up in the music and the, the two patine areas. Sure. And that's the kind of stuff we do because it's like, I don't, want, I don't want to get wet. I don't want anybody getting wet. I don't want anybody having wet feet all day long. And uh, it looks like we're not going to have those issues, but just in case, we did that anyway. Uh, and then also, it's a long walk to ensure people, if they're going back and forth, they could jump jump on a tram and go go there and back. I spend most of the high times cup walking, I think. Well, yeah, and I have friends who are like, uh, you know, they want to come to the cup, but she's like, you know, 
65 and she's just like or 67 and she's just like oh i can't really walk you know and it's just like it's like well you definitely have to usually walk at these events because most of the time that's you know that's the thing is sometimes you're like oh my god i can't believe i walked around like you come out of the building and they won't let you back in the building and you got to walk all the way around the other side and that kind of crap drives you nuts because some of these places are so big too yeah but see we thought about all that stuff and uh we don't want people to have to, you know, get sick off the food or have to walk anywhere if they don't want to or be cold and wet or, you know, and they can get the best speakers. We don't charge any additional fees for it. And the music coming in, I mean, Revolution, they're doing 20,000-seat arenas right now. Sure. Um, and Just they're coming in playing nuts. for us for 3,500 people, 4,000 people. Yeah. No, it's nice. That's a great event. We like we like the personal feel, too. That's the thing. Is if I wasn't upset that I had to miss it, Already, yeah, I'm double upset, <laughs> you know, triple, but exactly. You know, like it, I, I told it sounds you. like a really amazing event. Next uh, next year, we'll make it a, next year, we'll of make, course, make we'll it a point to uh, have everybody come. At least I'm going to get there this year to check it out. And I've been really looking forward to it since the last two years, missing out and like seeing it grow and evolve. And uh, you know, everybody who came back was just blown away. So I was like, all right, I got to this is something I got to check this out. So you'll have a virgin there, yeah, <laughs> you know, like. Asa Schaefer from Sonoma County Collective has come in and sponsored the VIP tent, and he's got custom special machines in there. They're going to have, you know, they put a beautiful bar in there. They've got screens that we're going to be pumping the music in from the main stage right into the VIP tents. And, I mean, when we have a VIP area, it's a true VIP area. It's like, it's really, it's chill, you know. It's not, it's not just nice. a couple of extra so snicker bars. To- <laughs> Here's some snicker bars, VIP. There you go. Kid would love it. Kid, well, that's all the kid. Yeah, needs. people get edibles, and, uh, and then you'll be able to get anything you want in there. So last year we had a friend of mine. Again, that ownership thing. I had a friend of mine who showed up with a couple hundred pounds, over a couple hundred pounds of fresh crab, and he just brought it in coolers and dumped it on the VIP tables and let everybody just have at it. <laughs> nice. And uh, you know, it must have been a couple thousand dollars worth of crab he threw out there. Sure. No, it's awesome, and that's the thing. Uh, if you can get the right vibe at these events, and uh, you know, it doesn't turn into a whole like, because that's the problem. A lot of times it just turns into everybody wanting free shit and then it turns like weird and like instead of it just happening naturally, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're going to get, don't worry, you know, relax. And so like a lot of these events, people just kind of cruise around with bags and just sort of like try to take as many things as they can and run back to their car. And I watch sometimes from afar, like, oh my God, this is like, you know, I, I barely have time to see my friends, you know, because it'd be like talking to one guy for a while and oh, there's five other people that need to see me or something, you know. But then I watch some of the... the the way they've turned because they're real consumer orientated you know what I mean so uh, that's what it sounds like yours is going to be uh, not like which is awesome because uh, you know and for me organic food is the way to go anyway so that's easy that's an easy choice because usually yeah, that's usually we're looking for the one place right uh, there's usually like one van at the cup that I can deal with <laughs> and then it's like oh yeah it's the same one I had last year and the year before that because there was no choice you know it didn't it's not like it evolved into anything bigger um but yeah, that's that. I mean, especially for California, because that's one of the things. If I'm in California, I feel I should have access there to some of the best Why vegetables. Is there and, not more like organic food just around in California? It always blows my mind. It well, you have to search. I mean, it depends on where you're, you have to search. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I just expect it to be like Boulder, where it's like, oh yeah, there's like two organic restaurants across the street from each other type thing. So yeah. that's awesome to bring all that together, though, because it's not that common. Well, yeah, it is tough for organic restaurants, having Area 101. It's really hard to make money off organic uh, ingredients. Um, it's not an easy chore to do. And we had some pushback from some of these restaurants that 
we're like, wow, do we have to be all organic? And we're like, look, we're not charging that much so you can come in and, and really give people organic food and they appreciate it so much. You can drop, you know, push up a couple bucks. So we've got almost two dozen very uh, variety-oriented uh, organic uh, you know, food providers. I mean, anything from crepes to Mexican food to Italian food, Greek food, you name it, Adam, you're going to be able to come out and uh, it's a smorgasbord. And I'll tell you what, those people do well. Most of the, um, our place, most of those uh, food providers are getting over 20000 for the weekend. They're just backed up and people are just chowing the food. Yeah. They're not as much trying to get all the free stuff as they are going to lectures and chowing on the food and taking in the good music. It's a little bit more of a cultural event yeah. than just people showing up to have a bunch of free stuff. More than a commercial event. I love yeah. that. I love That's that. That's cool. Yeah, they tried to do the uh, county fair. Here, the actual county county fair here did um, a cannabis pavilion last year, and it was a total disaster because they uh, they uh, well you know they didn't really they didn't do it for real. First of all, it was one of those things where it was everything with actual plants was done off off site. You know, so you got to see like photos of the plants. So it was like well, that's not really like. That's not really doing it for me right there. Um, but on top of that, they, they had some problems locally with uh, one of the companies here that apparently mixed up their edibles where they brought in medicated and they thought that they were they were labeled as unmedicated uh, and they gave them out to hundreds of people. <laughs> and uh, once people figured out that they were medicated, you know, they had like a like a class action lawsuit on them. So, so, so it was a total disaster in that yeah, sense. That's Denver and, style for you. You know what I mean? And, uh, so now they're probably never going to do it again at, the way they did it. Cause they actually did it at the, like I said, they did it at the County fair. So it wasn't like a, a cannabis group that really put it together. <laughs> they kind of did it real tongue in cheek where it was going to be like a joint they rolling, a joint con- rolling contest with oregano, with oregano. Right? Exactly. So I was like, you know, all right. You know what I mean? It was, it was one of those complete bullshit things, but, uh, it would have been it would have been nice if they had actually pulled it off without dosing all these people because uh, the idea to be open about letting cannabis into the real county fair, I think, would be the kind of next step for for you guys would be the to join up with the real county fair at some point and, and do a smaller version maybe of this internally at some of these with with more you know with majority of people there not being exposed. Instead of being just always about our, you know, would that would that, you see that future ever coming together? Or? Well, sooner than people think. My my brother-in-law's retired uh, captain of the Watsonville PD down in Santa Cruz County, and uh, all the uh, farmers down there want to integrate it in. And I, as soon as we go legal across this country, of course that'd be the next evolution, and we'll see that integrated into traditional county fairs. Uh, it will have its own section, of course, but just like you go to the the beer garden, you'll go to the cannabis garden. And yeah. I've been telling my friends that yeah. you uh, booked the show from uh, Cali Roots, Dan Sheehan. I said, look, Cali Roots, why why shouldn't Cali Roots have its own cannabis section? I mean, every, every one of these festivals is going to end up having it because it's just a natural segue. And, and uh, I think they're going to have to control the edibles. At our show, we're not going to have anything over 10 milligram doses for edibles because yeah. these guys, like you said, some of them do run from from place to place and all of a sudden they do you know three or four 50 milligram edibles and they're and they're bombed yeah so we're keeping it down to 10 milligrams so that they can actually have like you know 10 different you know desserts somewhere and not get high or not get too high but yeah. Yeah. other than that it's uh you know it's like you said it's friendly it's natural and how many people at least in california are, are touching the cannabis industry everybody's got family members doing some part of it and sure. they're all being affected by it so uh it's not anything that's a big deal for us out here yeah, no, and and like again, if you do the ag, 
if you think about like an ag situation where you go out, you know, you, once you leave the city uh, and you go to some of these smaller towns, you know, they they have their once a year county fair and that's pretty much, that's their big thing. That's you know it. what I mean? That's the big deal of the whole freaking year. So you can already see that this would at one point um, snowball a little bit where, where, I mean, I would hope that you would be able to, after proving yourself, you know, with these guys for a bunch of years, you know, be able to maybe uh, franchise or license your sort of branding to these other ones and get there, have them do it right. You know what I mean? Like when they do their contests, they kind of don't just kind of, everybody doesn't just start free forming everything because you're back to the zero again. You know, where a lot of us have done it enough where we see the, the pitfalls when it comes to edibles or we see the pitfalls when it comes to a lot of people and a lot of weed and a lot of like how <laughs> all of a sudden it's like, you got to keep things organized. And that's like, a huge hurdle because a lot of times everyone's so excited when they see the weed, they forget about all their jobs that they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> like their one job was to like be the runner for you and go back and forth. And, you know, now they got their first bag of weed and they're already lost, you know, already like I told everybody, we, we drug test all of our employees. You know, we make sure our employees can handle their drugs, you know, a little bit when it comes to smoking at least, you know, so I get how many people you got working for you like this year, total staff members. Uh, we probably have over 50. Uh, or if wow. you count the judges, over 100. Yeah, one uh, judges. It's a big process. I mean, yeah. you got people, you know, California is a big state. And when you got drop-off locations from L.A. all the way to the Sierras and up to, you know, Shasta and over to here, you got people running full-time to get those entries. They've got to come down here. They've got to get to SC Labs in Santa Cruz for the testing. They've got to get back to all these judges, you know, all these judges' meetings. Right. You know, and then you've got... You know, just without even the production aspect of it. In fact, if you if you really pulled the production aspect, then we probably have 150 employees on the whole thing. Sure. Um, and it's it's a huge undertaking, and uh, the people want to do more shows. They want to have. I've had many offers to do other shows, but when they really realize that the challenge, at least as far as the contest of us orchestrating that and doing it over a six week period and bringing it all in, uh, if you want to do a contest, you know, a cheesy contest and do it in one day, bring a bunch of people together, fine. But it, if you're going to have judges actually go home with 400 entries and have enough time to smoke each one of them and do a smell and a look and a, you know, a taste and a high on it, uh, it's a really complicated uh, thing to put together. I think we will have uh, very soon other events that are Emerald Cup events, but I don't know how much of the competition will do. We've talked about doing a light depot cup in the summer um, and doing that uh, in conjunction with the Emerald Cup in the, in the fall and stuff. But, you know, I'm happy just to, pull off this one show at this point and bring 20,000 people to the fairgrounds. We'll probably have 25. We'll probably end up with 30,000 people within the next couple of years. And that's a pretty big show for me, along with my, uh, my farms and my little event center here and all the companies we're starting and things I'm doing in the, in the writing and stuff. I'm, oh, yeah. I'm pretty much a full-time person. Speaking about uh, some stuff that you got going on, we just got a message in. Uh, someone asked uh, inquires about uh, our buddy Nelson Sands about uh, Emerald Cup Seeds. Is that uh, You got a seed project going on? Well, we started going out, and uh, we, we started last year. We were going to do an edibles company. People started wanting me to, to start bringing products out. And uh, so really quickly what happened was we went out and realized that it's not so much edibles, it's extracts. And that people are extracting things, and then they're putting them into different products. And so that quickly evolved to where we were looking for a name. And then people said, put the Emerald Cup name on it with your integrity and stuff. People will jump right into it. And so we were like, okay, well, let's look into that. And so that's very quickly, along with this book, over the last two and a half months, evolved into six new companies, which are Emerald Cup uh, edibles, uh, medicinals, uh, concentrates, oils, genetics, flowers, um, 
Like the other one is, and, uh, and so they've all come in, yes. And so what's happened is, is that uh, everybody was using clones up here until the last few years because everybody wanted OG, of course, and Sour D and Chemdog and Headman and whatnot. And I never thought it really changed that quick. Uh, John Vergato, who's a major seed uh, breeder and dealer, uh, suggested we get together all these breeders. And, of course, nobody wanted to come out until the last couple of years because people like Mark Emery and stuff were going to jail. Well, the Emerald Cup three years ago, Leo won with aficionado at the Chemdog Reserve, and uh, and it's been off the races ever since. I mean, he gets $50 a seed, and, and people from all over the world are looking for the seeds and the genetics in the triangle. So I started pulling in some different people to be part of a genetics company and a seed company. And uh, that was a little bit of a wild ride because I had a couple friends that uh, were going to be part of it, and then we decided that it would be best to just be friends and not be partners. And so I've got, um, I've got one of the original winners of the Cup, Doug, who passed away, and he gave all of his genetics to a friend of mine, Taylor, from T. Beasel Farms, who's my concentrate partner. And so he brought his strains in. And then my friend Charlie, you know, an old-time breeder up here, uh, brought his strains in. And then I started with a friend of ours, Marks, and it's quickly evolved to where, you know, we're going to have 30 or 40 strains uh, in the Emerald Cup genetic line. And uh, all of a sudden, I find myself in the middle of a large genetics company, seed company, along with all these other companies. So... Uh, it's really hard to keep up with all of it, yeah. But we are coming to the Cup with some seeds and uh, and some genetics, and I'm really proud of the people we're bringing in to be part of that. Awesome. Are they going to be awesome. launching at this one, or are they going to be next year, or what is going? What, when do you think the... Oh, no, no, we're coming in with the Emerald Cup OG uh, strain. My, my friend Charlie's got uh, years of stabilizing that strain. Uh, that's a really, it's about a 52-day. It comes in just amazing, one of the best-smelling OGs you've ever seen. And uh, nice. then uh, I've got a friend who... We helped with lemon scum diesel. It actually came out, I think, through was it DNA or something? Man, up in uh, Cobo. A lot of these guys never wanted to really come out in the open, uh, and but they had all the strains: chocolate and lemon scum diesel, and all these uh, all these other strains, you know, Jagu and stuff. And so they're bringing them to us, and with these various companies, we're giving credit to everybody that wants their name on it. And some people, like the, the gentleman that developed the Emerald Cup OG, he doesn't want his name on it, so we're keeping his Emerald Cup OG. Right. We have a pineapple Afghani that we're bringing in, and uh, we've got that lemon scum diesel. We've got Doug Strange, which is almost heaven. He won the cup with it. Doug won 10 top three places in this country between New York and here over the last seven years. He won the Emerald Cup with almost heaven a few years back. And so we're now developing all those strains, uh, getting enough you know, seeds so we can start out uh, at the cup. And then uh, over the uh, next three months, we'll have uh, limited releases of, of about 30 different strains. Well, that's that's uh, definitely exciting. Uh, definitely, I mean, we we definitely have a huge lineup of genetics geeks kind of uh, waiting in the wings here. So, anytime you guys are doing a drop, obviously, uh, we'd love to have you back on uh, hyping it to the audience here. Uh, and speaking of hyping to the audience, I gotta take a moment. Uh, Adam's gonna be out there broadcasting both nights. You yeah, said eight, eight to twelve, both nights. Eight to twelve. Local time, yeah, from the Emerald Cup. Cup, From the Emerald Cup, 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. West Coast time. Uh, His special guests are going to be Bubba Kush, DJ Short, Sonny Chiba, Odie Diesel uh, from uh, Homegrown Natural Wonders, uh, Loud Seeds, Snow High Seeds, which I'm very interested in. That's a very interesting one. Uh, The Seed Company, which is two. Yeah. (laughs) Two's coming with me. We're flying together. Oh, yeah. It's going to be fun. And Frenchie Cannoli. Yeah, who, and somebody else too. I have you met Frenchie? Yeah, yeah, I know Frenchie. Yeah. I know him from back a little bit. From the thing is that he knows of me. We know each of each other. We'd hardly ever hung out, but that's what I'm saying. You never hung out with. But him. I saw him at the last show okay. in uh, 
San Bernardino, whatever, for about a half hour, hung out with okay. us. But anyway, yeah, it's going to be a good show. That's good. And it's going to be two shows in a row. And then... So you, is this both nights or... Both nights. I'm not sure. It'll flippity, yeah, 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 flippity, yeah, flippity, yeah. yeah. And uh, it'll be good. And then uh, if we have the top 50, we'll be able to, uh, on the air, get all nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it'll, make us, it'll make it great. It's going to be good stuff. I'm sorry I have to miss it. Ah. I know, I know. I know, I know. Ah. So, back to... Back oh, you to will have the top 50. We'll get, that, we'll get that put away for you, Adam. Awesome. I'll, uh, I'll give Taylor a heads up, so... Uh, there's no confusion. I don't want to hear. Hey, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no, no. She knows too. We we already made them up. We make about uh, twenty judges packs because right. uh, we give it to the bands. We we put it out all over the. You know, we want everybody to, to uh, you know partake in the very finest that the uh, sure. state of California's got to offer. Yeah, and how? Uh, so to give us a little. How, uh, since you had so many varieties. So many varieties. Oh, we're getting a little feedback. Uh, can you just turn your speakers down, maybe, Tim? I don't have any. I'm not changing no. my speakers. No. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Oh, now it's now it's fixed. That's weird. I don't know. Okay, uh, but uh, now I lost my thing. Uh, <laughs> oh, putting together so all these many packs. Varieties. Yeah, putting together all these packs. How is your? Because I mean, that's one of the challenges of cannabis in general. Is that you know, if I'm sitting in my farm and I got, how, give me an idea. Actually, how much was the entries? How much? What was the amount per entry? For the can for the flowers, the flower was three ounces. Three ounces. We had a little over four hundred, so you know, so you've got uh, about twelve hundred. We had about uh, ninety pounds in this year, and they've got to put those into judges, uh, you know, containers for all the judges. By the time they do the judges packs, the second and third round, I think last year we had over twelve thousand containers we had to put together. Wow. Yeah. Uh, this year, uh, this year will be about the same because we're doing. Judges packs, and we'll do ten of those, which is about four thousand. We'll do the top fifties, which will be another five five hundred in there, and then all the judges packs. We'll have over ten thousand containers that our guys will put together uh, just for that part of it. And and uh, case because one of the things about that, like I know there's been issues, especially I mean with flowers, it's a little bit less uh, critical, but there's been some real issues with uh, some of the solvent people and some of the different extracts where. They're just not stable enough, you know what I mean? And they put them in a spot, and it gets too hot. And by the time it gets to the judges, they're all buttered up and look terrible. And you know what I mean? There's like there's always those kind of issues, um, because I, I think a lot of times the people don't realize that this stuff is everybody's giving it to you from a different different source and different conditions. And some people are probably real meticulous and got it all perfect and some guys uh, used to hand it to me in like a bag and I'd just be like well, are you kidding like a dirty bag you know or something and I'd be like well what is this ah, I reused it and it's old you know? um, do they do any kind of break do they just give it to you in three separate ounces that you can then divide however you guys need to divide it or you have them do any kind of pre-work yeah no no we do it we get in three ounces we break it all up we take care of it all uh, we do the best uh, to maintain the integrity of the bud uh, we refrigerate all the that's good. The solventless that comes in, you know, with the rosin coming in. Right. It's really critical to take care of it. It all goes into glass. Uh, it's part of that really challenging process to to keep the the products in the best shape they can be in and give them to the judges the way they need them uh, so that the contest runs right. Do you, and, do you, you know, like what, I said, people have no idea until you try to do it how much work it is. With yeah. the rosin, though, do you have the guys uh, pre-make them into like half-gram bits or do you have them? Because that, that could be a real challenge. Uh, or do you have them give it to you into one one piece? We have them come down and broken down, but I actually like it the other way because it gives us 
um, like by the time we're done, we have up like a six gram piece that we can put on the, the uh, display case uh-huh. because last year it was all in one pieces. And so all of a sudden you end up with this little one gram piece on the display case that nobody can really see. Sure. Whereas if it's one gram piece, all of a sudden there's enough for people to take pictures. Sure. And so we're actually putting it back into uh, a five or six gram piece. We're not giving out any of the solventless of the rosin to uh, any of the attendees because we want it to be in one big piece so that all the people can take pictures and really see it. Right. It's challenging, though. And so next year, yeah, next year we'll say that put it in seven or eight uh, one-gram pieces, and then the rest just put it in one chunk so that we can show it off. Gotcha. No, that, that makes the most sense. Yeah, because it's like uh, it's definitely where it gets real complicated because you know people are sometimes, by the time they get their product to wherever they need to get it, it's, it's already doesn't even look like they when they entered it you know so and then they're yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of whining going on around that time but uh i'm sure with the flowers you guys are are on point so you do the flowers in glass too everything's in glass yeah nice. you know what we've told the the, uh, the the contest people over the years i've just drummed it into them look you've got to go through your best 20 pounds you got to spread it out and get the best pound of that. You got to go through that best pound and get your best three ounces, bud by bud, pick it so that every bud that goes to a judge is the is the fire. Right. So many of these people, even after all these years, they just grab three ounces out of something and they don't realize that you know, come on, within two pounds or three pounds, you're going to have so much of a difference of yeah. quality of bud. And so do it right. Make sure it's all trimmed meticulously, mm-hmm. and they present it in the right way and get it cured. And they're getting better and better. I'll tell you what, with the entries this year, uh, our judges have said they're just, uh, you know, two or three times better than they were. Right. The quality every year is just going up. The people are realizing how to bring it in and what to present it like because they, they all want to get top 20. Right. And they realize that they're going to compete against the best in the world. They, they better bring it. I mean, to bring yeah, and top 20 on the numbers you guys are working with is, is a huge, huge. task. Yeah. It's not like the easiest thing in the world to get in the top 20, especially when most people don't get a chance to see the other people's work up until the day. You know what I mean? It's sort of like, you know, everyone's got their little thing going. They might know a couple people and they might see some other people's material, but a lot of people live in a cloud where they think they're the ones doing the best work ever and not realizing that there's a shitload of people out there doing the same work and we're all kind of gunning for each other, especially, (laughs) especially when there's an event like yours uh, to showcase, then it makes people, you you see some people pull some moves and you're like wow I never even realized they were doing those that quality of work there, and uh, it's humbling I think for some growers you know they come home tails between their legs and they're like wow they never thought it was going to be that rough but uh, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it because uh, I can't wait I mean, if it's that much better than it was last year and last year I heard really good good things too so it's not like a, I'm expecting it to be uh, anything but stellar this year. Yeah, that top 50 is uh, is amazing. You you could go through the top 50 and make a case for any of that. I mean, it's sad for the people not to get that. That's why we do a top 50 now because, you know, if you're, you go up and look at top 48 or 50 or whatever else, and I smoke it, and it's just like, wow, this is stunning. How did this not make top 20? And then I go back and look at the top 20 and think, wow, that's incredible. And then you get outside, like last year, we were giving a lot of the bud away that didn't make the top 50, and I'm looking at all this bud, and I'm going, there's some amazing product in here. Right. I mean, out of 650 entries, sure, half of them are B, they're not A, but, I mean, there's 100 that are just fire, 100 or more, and uh, it's really amazing. You've got to be good. I had a judge that was with me for a number of years, and he decided not to be a judge he wanted to enter because he was so sure he'd get top 10. And he was sweating it because he actually was at number 12, 
And the only reason why he made top ten was because two of them got uh, knocked out for uh, failing failing the test. And so he said he's never going to enter again because just making a top ten was like, that was it, just the fact he got in there. And this was a phenomenal grower. And he was like, man, I had no idea how hard it was going to be to even get top ten. And uh, he said, I'm not doing it again because I don't want to not make it. <laughs> now, did the, the last couple of years were the trends in the top ten were they were they like your classic OG diesel things or were they a lot of unique uh, things that just kind of came out of left field that people never seen before? You know, it's interesting. You know, um, we had a sweet serenade which was an OG cross last year. You get a lot of the crosses, so it's not just straight OGs. They get a little flavor in there, different types and stuff. Uh, I think you got a little bit of the uh, little some perps in there or something. Um, but you get the cookies that's come in. You know, the Skittles has come in. Uh, after you smoke a lot of OG, you're, you know, people are looking for something a little different. But you've always got the OG in the top 20. It's going to sit there. You've always got the diesel, you know, the fires in there. But, you know, every year there's something that surprises you. Last year it was the Skittles. The year before that it was the cookies. Uh, Sweet Serenade made it in. Um, well, you got Jackson from, uh, you know, from Leo, me and Gene. And every year he had a cherry limeade. He's got the, uh, you know, the black lime. And he's always coming up with some phenomenal crosses uh, every year. You know, it, it's interesting because you look at uh, you look at Jackson, you look at Derek, you look at uh, Travis from Gorilla Farms. There are probably a dozen people that have had top 20 winners like most of the last uh, 10 years. Almost every year they're going to have a top 20. There, there's, a, there, there's about 10 of them that just are going to bring it. And you just know it. It's like, okay, it's going to be Derek. Or it's, going to be, it's going to be Jackson. It's going to be, you know, going to be Travis. And uh, year after year, they come back. So really, if you gave them all the same strain, it would still be these phenomenal growers that would bring something that just just sparkles and just has, you know, just that, you know, look of diamonds on it. And just, you can just tell, you know, they just put the love into it. There's something, it's like that cooking where that chef just elevates it beyond just those ingredients into something that's magical. And that's what they do. They, they put so much love and attention into that that it's like your mom's home cooking. You know, why is it so good? There's just something special about it. And uh, that's what these guys do. But, you know, it's funny. Every year, and we had a green a green uh, crack, green queen come in and uh, get it uh, one year. And I was really surprised by that. We had a lemon skunk um, come in. And uh, I, didn't think, uh, I didn't think it would go for that Jack Herrera smell. But it was so phenomenal that, uh, you know, that uh, Darren had done such a great job that it was hard to argue with it. It was just a phenomenal piece of work that he had done for that strain it was the best that strain could have ever been and so our judges are they're looking at it like they're going to be very objective into what what is the finest work the finest artistic medicine that can be presented and uh and you get that many judges you get 14 judges in there and it's, it's wonderful because we bring some judges that are really you know uh more dedicated to the fire some people are more towards the fruities you know you've got different taste taste and uh, preferences and that's what makes it really good to see those judges get there on that last day and really want to make sure that the best of the best is what gets awarded. Yeah, we're going to have Seatser uh, uh, now just in, uh, told me that we're having Jackson on the show on Friday. So nice. we'll have from uh, Emerald Cup. Nice. From Emerald Cup. So we got at least one of we got at least one of your top tw- uh, guys in on the show on Friday. So that'll be good. Hopefully, you can maybe if we if we actually get a chance to link up, we can uh, try to get some of these other guys on the show uh, while I'm there. Yeah, you let me know. I'll, I can bring them in. Now all of them want to speak, so I'll, I'll bring them all in. But you couldn't have a finer, uh, finer cannabis farmer and uh, a geneticist, and also a person in Jackson. He's he's as good as they come. Nice. And, uh, 
Well, yeah, I'd be really fortunate to have the time with him. Right, I look forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I, mean, I know I, his was some of my favorite herb that I smoked in that. When I went, the one time I went out, not to Emerald's Cup, but uh, one of the SoCal Cups. Uh-huh. And I had, it was the first time the grill glue was around. It was the first time that a lot of uh, different cookies were around. And I had some of his key lime pie, and it was by far my favorite. Like, it stood out. It was a, a class above. Uh, and I definitely have a lot of respect for the dude. Nice. Look forward, like I said. Cool. Well, um, let's see. What else we got from organizing big events? Come on. Come on. Think about it. From the- organizing <laughs> big events. You know I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure you got more going on than we do. Um, what what's uh I mean, sounds like the music draw alone is going to be huge. That's kind of where all these go together. Do you go? Oh, I wanted to ask. Do you guys have camping on site, or what's the lodging situation like? Uh, you can do camping on site. Uh, they could bring RVs. Not really camping, but you got RVs. They got hookups for people to come in. Sure, Camping's that's cool. a little rough. You can do it, but it's the winter time. Um, really, the hotels are filled up for thirty miles. Uh, we've done all three hundred fifty of our hotels. You can't find a hotel for twenty twenty miles on each side of the fairgrounds. So it's pretty rough right now to find a room. Uh, people are going all the way back to the city almost. But uh, you can bring RVs. They do have it on site. And you can camp. The fairgrounds does do that on an individual basis. So they have their own They have their own rates and stuff for that? Like you have to pay for it or is it a – Yeah, you can do it. I think it's about 40 bucks or 50 bucks. You can come in. and uh, They've got nice facilities there. Right. If you can hook They'll up. Come in. Some do that. They like it. Sure. Uh, but like I said, most of it's hotels. And the good thing about – that area is, you know, you can get good hotels and it's not three or 400 bucks like the city. Sure. And um, what are the hours of the event itself? Is it is it an all day, thing, all day, all night or just a, you know, daytime event? Yeah, we're running from 11 o'clock till 1 o'clock on Saturday. Okay. And then we'll open the gates a little early on Sunday. Um, I think it's 1030. I uh, might even open the gates earlier on Saturday too now. What happened was that uh, we opened the gates a little bit uh, last year and uh, – and uh, last year, so what happened was we had people standing out in front smoking cannabis, and that wasn't a very good photo op. You had 100 people out in front burning, and they didn't like that at all. So we're opening the gates a little bit early before the show uh, so people can get in there. But Sunday ends at um, at 9 o'clock. It's an early show. we got B10 Peak that will come on and be done by 8.45. And then we'll have a bunch of after-hours parties you know, all over the place. So people will go well into the night. Right on. It sounds like it's going to be a blast. I might yeah. try to figure out how to get that. <laughs> Mitch is missing it. No, maybe not. Maybe yes. Maybe not. I know. And the thing is, I have a rough. Yeah, let one. me know. Adam. What's that? Yeah, yeah. I'll be uh, I'll be there tomorrow morning. So I'll get there around eleven o'clock. Yeah, let me know if you want to go to the uh, after hours party on Saturday night. Uh, they're going to do it at Annie O's and that. Uh, Saturday for sure. One, uh, Saturday for sure. Sunday, I'm taking off at the Red Eye around eleven thirty. I got to go fly right to DC to go to that high times business summit that's going on over there. So it's going to be like straight from the Zip Emerald Zip. cup. I mean, it's definitely, I wish I could go the other way around. I wish I could go to the, do the businessy thing first, you know, and then show up all burnt. And to then the I'm going to show up just looking like a wreck to the thing. <laughs> like, Oh yeah, here comes Adam. And I'm supposed to be doing like, you know, leading the cultivation table of, uh, people who are all going to be suited up. Breakout group, breakout group, all suited up, looking, looking, Fresh. <laughs> I will not look fresh. I can guarantee you. It's going to be awesome, though. Yeah. We'll put you on a list for Saturday night uh, to go there. And then if you come in, I think they're going to do a private uh, party on Friday night with uh, Absolute Extracts and uh, CGA, where they're going to have a pretty much a really incredible catered open bar thing with some great food and stuff. Awesome. Pretty, we're a very limited awesome. private event. But uh, I think we can get you into that one, too, if you want to come in. That's going to be Friday night, I think, 
from uh, H12. Sounds great. Yeah, no, definitely. Hook me yeah, up. You're on Hook. the air then, no? Oh, no, H12 can't come. I'm on the air. But I'll talk about it. How's that? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> private, what's the point? Do it from there. Maybe we'll switch everything. No, yeah. we can't do that. We have a good, we have private, we having a uh, private chef. Same yeah. guy that came oh, Nice, nice. Thing, so. We're working it. But uh, no, definitely uh, we'll try to make as much as we can uh, while we're there for the connections and stuff. Uh, see what we can do. Um, what else we got? What else we got? What else you got, Adam? You're going. Well, you got any questions I mean, about my, it? Well, no. I mean, I think the event, I can't, I'm just looking forward. It, I love going to new things, you know, that, mm-hmm. that you kind of have your – I mean, I do know the fairgrounds a little bit, but at the same time, it was a different event, so it changes everything. Um and also, just going to look forward to seeing all these people that are going to be there because it definitely seems to be the who's who right now. And, uh, you know, it's just going to be nice to report next week about this whole thing. And Yeah, do the recap. The recap. recap. The recap, exactly. And uh, see, hopefully if I – I mean, I, I definitely – how has the CBD uh, been for the last – how long have you been doing that category? Have you been doing it the whole time or is this just a new new category? No, it came out about two years ago. Uh, it's become uh, it was a challenging contest. First, we were just doing it as a, as a flower contest, the best CBD, and then, of course, it's broken down into so many different aspects. So then we started doing the highest-rated CBD. Uh, but then re- people have realized, of course, it's not really about all CBD. It's about a balance, and so we've had to break it up into one-to-one and two-to-ones and, and whatnot. So it's been ever-evolving in itself because mm. uh, so you have all those more and more about that medicinal side. You know how do you, how do you break out the awards and stuff? So um, we've got more and more awards for the CBD. All of a sudden, I think you know we have four or five categories with like three uh, three winners of each. So we're getting glass for all that. We've got almost fifty thousand dollars in glass prizes for this. So it's really um, but the CBD is, is is exceptional. Travis from Gorilla Farms uh, won it last year with a two to one, and it wasn't about an eighteen to one CBD because you know interesting enough if you get judges testing 18 to 1 there's not much going on they're not getting high they're not feeling much right and so it's really about what is what do these different medicines do for your pain for a 2 to 1 or a 1 to 1 and so uh, even the judging has been challenging to figure out how do you judge that you know how do you take that into into account for all that and so uh, it's been wonderful to do we brought in the folks from uh, Care by Design Martin and his partner Alan and some of these other people some of these really world class people to help guide us Jude Tillman from Dragonfly to really figure out, okay, how do we how do we do this contest? That's great. Do you have a structured like training for your judges? That's one thing that's always uh, you know in the competitions I've judged, I have you know my method with my spreadsheets because I love spreadsheets and all that. But then someone's always in there, and I'm I'm always like, well, we're not really judging the same way, so do our scores mean the same thing? Is there any sort of like calibration or training that the judges go through, or it's kind of like here you go, one to ten, do the thing. No, no, no. We've we've worked really hard over the years to come up with a system that that uh, that works fine. And, and uh, it's a top fifty. It's the best score you can get is a fifty, and you have a one to ten point scoring system for smell, look, and taste. And then you've got um, uh, on the high, you've got a double score. So even though each of those gets weight, the score for the for the high does get a double score. So hmm. um, you know most of the scores are coming in between forty and fifty, and then you take all. 12 to 14 of those judges and combine all their scores. And that's how you get it down to a top 50. And then even with that, they go back and look like, uh, last week we took the top 75 out just to make sure that there was nothing in the 50 to 75 range that we missed. 
And then the judges go home with that, all the top 50, and then they score it again. And then that was, uh, that was done a couple of days ago. And then they'll come back on Thursday and take their scores again from that and get the scores down to a top 20. But then they'll look from there on, it'll be, um, you know, a different contest of like, okay, what's one to 20. Right. And so they'll sit there, they'll start at three o'clock and probably not get done till nine or 10 o'clock on Thursday night. That's why I'm not down at the fairgrounds. We'll be with the judges making sure that they don't, uh, pass out and they get fed and get uh, water and stuff so that they can keep going. And uh, so it's, uh, it's a pretty serious, it's a very serious contest. The judges take it, you know, take it that way. We have buyers from, you know, Harborside and uh, Peace and Medicine, the various, you know, HPRC, different collectors, uh, different places come in and judge. And uh, they know what they're doing. And, and they sit down and they come up with a top 10 and then a top five and then a top three. And it's, uh, it's always interesting to see because until the very end, you're not really sure where it's going to go. Yeah, once you get down to the really good, you know, as soon as you look at it, usually you can say, okay, these ones are the the top ten percent. They're really standing out during intake. You see the ten percent. You're really excited about. It. But as far as getting those in, like we do our own little cup. Uh, it's very small, but you know, we just invite the competitors and and everyone competes and it's head to head and. You know, when it's coming in, you're just like, wow, these, some of these are real standouts. But which one's the best? Yeah. It's very, it gets down to so much nuance, you know. Yeah, and it's also the crowd. You know, it's it's in a group situation is when things become clear because as an yeah. individual, you you tend to get, you know, you get into your own little flavor funk and almost and people are like, eh, I only like this, I only like that. And you, you can't really judge uh, properly if you have a, a bias towards certain flavors. You kind of have to be accepting to the fact that some are fruity and some are not and some have more of a like weird funky flavor but they have an effect that might work balances that out you know other times you, you love the flavor and there is no effect you know what i mean it's like there but people smoke it anyway because they like the taste and so kind of got to get around all those things and in the end of the day it, it's almost like when when i tell people if you just leave a bunch of weed out on a table and then come back and then whatever's empty is probably the best weed that yeah. put out on the table it was that easy you know what i mean people f figured it out they smoked that eh, don't really like that like that one though and keep going back and that jar is empty as long as you had like a, a reasonable crowd of people that are you know got an idea of cannabis you should have a pretty clear idea that that's the the winner of your pheno hunt that you're doing at that particular time or whatever yeah it's it's challenging though you get down like last year we had uh uh Jackson in there with that black lime. We had the sweet serenade, which is that OG cross, and then we had a couple, uh, a couple skittles in there. And uh, boy, when we got down to that top five or six, I think that the skittles didn't make it because uh, it's not quite as strong yeah. on the high. It's a great flavor and stuff, but it just couldn't quite compete with the high of the black lime or the um, or the sweet serenade. So um, it does come down to like, okay, even though people like some kind of a taste, it's still the contest is about the overall effect too. And so, uh, we really had that, we had a, uh, purple Afghani a couple of years back that I thought was just the absolute by far the best winner in the cup, but it came in at number three because it just didn't have the look. The guy just hadn't picked the right buzz out or something. He hadn't really presented it well. And people just looked at it and said, you know, it just, it's knocked down so far on that look and whatnot. It's just having a hard time to keep up with it, even though it was really, I thought the best high. So, uh, the judges have to go for the overall package with, you know, the high still waiting it in there. But when you get down to that top 10, it could go either way because they're all, as you'll see, Adam, they're, 
they're phenomenal. That top 20 is like, yeah, it's got you know, they're all, it's a, it can, the 16 can be an eight easily. And then it just gets down to those judges uh, looking at it and deciding where to go and, and how it falls. But, you know, um, I'm proud of them. They do a good job. They don't get paid. They they get free hotel rooms. They uh, we, we feed them well. They they get perks here and there. But these judges are all doing it as a labor of love. Sure. Being part of the show. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really, like I said, uh, grateful for what they do uh, because, like I said, we don't make a lot of money on the show. So it's not like we can pay all of our judges big bucks to come in. And, uh, you know, we have people that, that want to do it because they love it. And a lot of them don't come back the second or third year because it's so demanding to do that for six weeks straight. And then there's five or six of them that you're going to have to drag them out when they're on their deathbed. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. No, and it's, it is. It is. That's a real proper, you know, done event, obviously, um, because most of the time nobody's paid. Same situation. They're but trying to you rush get your, your own hotel room, and you get your own. Yeah, you do everything on your own, and you get a rush. You get a rush job because they give you two days to do everything, and you're just like, it doesn't really, you know, those those kind of things don't pan out in the long run because a lot of people put a lot of work into that stuff, and so it's it's totally a bad feeling if somebody you get some cannabis that's you know is worth something, and people are already moved on to the next thing because it, the guy rolled it bad or something. You know what I mean? And it's like, really? Yeah. Did you see how the, yeah, this thing doesn't smoke. You know, I've seen people do that and like totally poo poo one strain and put it on the side. And later when you go back, you're like, this stuff was pretty fire right here. I think this, this got rolled terrible. Look at the guy's <laughs> joint rolling skills. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, it's also like, and, and because of the people are under time constraints, they're just trying to push through instead of, enjoying it you know which at the end of the day it becomes it becomes a full-time job so it's like well this hard to hard to enjoy a full-time job it doesn't matter if you're smoking cannabis or not you're like this is a full-time job you tricked me you tricked me into this and didn't you you know because it's not as easy as people think that's 100 percent sure oh no we get people that request to be celebrity judges or guest judges all the time and when i outline the demands of it you know most of the time they have to pass because you've got to come up for four or five judges meetings. You've got to spend a whole day with the judges five different times. Then you've got to go home and, and go through every one of those. And it's different when you're just, you know, smoking something and letting your mind wander off. Yeah. You get high. You have to actually think every time about what it's doing to you. Is it a nine? Is it a seven? Is it this? And you do that hundreds of times. It becomes a job. And yeah. these judges really are. It's like, you know, it's, it starts get, you know, getting to the point where, okay, this is really work. And, uh, and then the people that come in and see that, it's like, well, it's a very demanding task. And uh, that's why I said, like, you know, I'm so grateful that these people do that because uh, they're the ones that make it, really, are those judges. And to watch them be so serious and to take it uh, with such reverence because they know that people's lives are going to – I mean, you win the cup, you know, like Leo did, and all of a sudden your seeds are selling for 50 bucks a seed. Or, you know, your pounds are going for several hundred dollars more. Or sure. you get that recognition of, like, being the best. and. So they're realizing that the difference between a first or second place. Last year, it could have gone either way with the Sweet Serenade or the Black Lime. And I had an old farmer up here, been up here forever, Joe, who won it. And I'm so glad that he did because he's put so many years, you know, in a labor of love doing it. But then I, I knew that, that Jackson was number two. And so I was sitting there watching this come down. The judges don't know any of this. They, they just have the, mm -hmm. the strains. Sure. Because I'm part of the whole thing. I'm sitting there, and I realize it's going to be Joe or Jackson. They're going to win this cup, and I'm Joe trying to figure Jackson? out which one I'm rooting for because I love them both. And it's like, wow, you know, Joe's an old guy, and it's, it's nice to see him get his due, but Jackson rocks. And uh, 
you know, they're sitting there debating that for an hour over which one's going to win. Yeah, when it comes down to the final two, it's always really cool. It becomes this intense moment of yeah, there's really always focused deliberation. Real, real, everybody really on, you know, everybody taking it seriously. Hopefully, at that point, and then it, it's the like at our event, it was literally like silence for the moment. You know, everybody was just so waiting for the decision to be made on that final thing, and it was like, whoa, big deal. But it's yeah, it's awesome, and it's like when you do know how much work's involved because you do it yourself, then you're totally, you know, you see the the crew, like instantly you'll see the crew involved because you'll see everyone go nuts. And it's like, well, there's not just one guy, is it? It's 20 guys right there. And they're all, they're all winners. You know, they're all going home. They're all, like you said, going to get a little bit more, hopefully on their pounds or they're going to get a little bit, they're going to be able to sell their seeds or they're going to have their, their, they own a dispensary or they're part of some, some other thing that's now going to become more successful. And uh, the recognition for cannabis I mean, sometimes it's a little ridiculous because we definitely are. There's way too many events going on, and it's hard to keep up. So it's good to have a once-a-year mega event like that because then people do have a whole year to work towards it, and there's no excuses with timing or anything. Whereas if you have, like, five events a year, you know, it's almost like the you lose the luster, you know what I mean? I think it's good to, to go for that once-a-year major thing because it takes a year to do almost any of these things because especially if you want to change it you, gotta, you can do the same thing over and over but if you want to make it grow and change sure. it you and you guys got to, and, and there's a recovery period i'm sure you guys are super stoked when it's the, the weekend after or the week after you know because i know that's like after everybody's got their cars out of the mud or everything's finally gone you know what i mean and everybody's taking care of all that crap it's like oh man finally can sleep for for a week you know what i mean like straight what do you do for recovery you go somewhere good or you you take off or you do anything I, like- get the, I get the top 50 and i go sit and smoke that <laughs> i uh I, I usually stay pretty straight i've been i haven't been high for 90 days i had to finish that book and all these businesses so i haven't gotten uh, high for about 90 days and i won't smoke until i get off the stage on sunday wow uh because uh, there's so much to do well we started six businesses i finished the book i ran a million and a half dollar show and got my 500 pound farm in and you know I'm 58 years old. Getting up at four in the morning and going until 11 every night, it's rough. Even doing meditation every day. So to stay focused and stuff, I get clear. But then I go out and do my own little judging. I love to take uh, the top 20 and then do my own judging. And sometimes I agree with the judges, and sometimes I don't. But uh, it's a really fun process. So I, I go out to some place for a week and uh, relax and just sit back and smoke the top 50 and uh, and reminisce with how it went and what the judges did and stuff. So it's really fun. We had a story a couple of years back with Sonoma County Collective and Asa, the guy putting on the VIP tents, as you'll see, he came in and entered the Cherry Cola strain he had, and it ended up winning number two, and almost won number one, and um, but what happened was, hello, oh, what happened was, oh, we hi. went back and the judges were all leaving, and my, my guy, the intake guy, went and got his information so we could figure out what it was. And on that, he had admitted that he'd take it inside for the last three weeks and finished it inside. Now, he wasn't lying about it. He just admitted that the rains came, and he put it inside. And we had to disqualify him, and all the judges had left, and we're calling the judges to come back and stuff, and we had to change that around and do the whole thing because, you know, uh, even though he, he was honest about it, we still had to disqualify him for what he'd done. And so we saw him at the cup and said, you know, Asa, you're uh, really – Really grateful you were honest. We're sorry we had to bring you out, and we really like it fair the next year and, and go after it. You there? Yeah, yeah, we're still here. Yeah. Okay, and then the next year he came back and uh, won second place with that same strain. Nice. 
So it was fulfilled. Yeah, almost won the cup again. And now he's going to be running all of our VIP tents and stuff. And so you'll get to see that strain. He'll have some of that there, Adam. You ought to check it out. That's another phenomenal strain. I will definitely jump. I will definitely jump. Okay. Right on. Well, uh, that brings us to about the two and a half hour mark on the show. Uh, we're going to do another sponsor shout out. And then, uh, of course, we want to bring you just back to wrap up, Tim, and uh, do, you know, shout out the book again. Shout out the Emerald Cup. Let people uh, know where to get their tickets. So uh, let's just do our sponsors, and we'll bring you right back and, and, uh, and wrap, this wrap the show. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So uh, we're going to start off with our number one sponsor. has been, been with us since the beginning and uh, is repping out some of the best gear in Colorado, uh, guys from Way to Grow. Seven locations all over Colorado. They have uh, one, I'm sure, near you or nearby. They're doing their uh, light sale right now for LA. They're doing their uh, LECs. And uh, there we go. The Merry and Bright Sun System LEC sale. The 315 watt, 120 volts, 439. The 240 volts, 419. Could be 420. Should be. Sure, maybe yeah. with tax. <laughs> right uh, 630 watt, 120 volts, 765. And the 630 watt, 240 volts, 700. Uh, great way to go. They're excellent lights. Uh, sale ends December 31st. And of course, on anything in the store, if you use the code Adam Dunshow, you're going to get 25% off. That's the better than the commercial rates. You will not get ripped off at the hydro store. If you're on Team Adam Dunn Show. And, of course, big, big shout-out to Incredibles Edibles. Colorado's number one edibles, soon to be in Vegas, too, it sounds like. i got to try the pumpkin spice bar. Awesome. you got to try every one of the bars. I love the monkey bar. Back, um, yeah, the old-school flavors. The old school. Bring it back. Bring yeah. it back. Bring it back to the monkey bar, the peach dream. Uh, you know, the, the freeze-dried fruit's just such a good way to go. It retains the flavor really well. The quality, the chocolate's great. And obviously, they pack a hell of a punch. They got that mile higher mint up to 500 milligrams now because I guess some people need that. Uh, big, big shout out to Build the Soil, uh, our favorite resource for anything to do with your organic soil, organic systems, whether you want to make your own compost tea, you want to have a worm farm, uh, you want to grow cover crops, you want to grow alfalfa that you can put into your soil. Uh, holler at Build the Soil. Uh, he is so rigorous about the quality and sourcing of everything. Uh, you really do know that you can count on Build the Soil to have the best. And if there's a great product that you know of that meets the standards and is organic, let him know about it. He'll look into it and he'll stock it. I've seen it happen a dozen times already. Um, so you can check them out again, buildthesoil.com. Of course, big shout out to Dark Horse Genetics. Uh, you can go to jawfarm.com. Uh, Grab those last packs. It's the online seed bank. You can grab the uh, Archive Seeds uh, packs. There's some Jaws gear in there. Uh, the Dark Horse Hoodlum hoodies, also a great way to go. Those things have, like, awesome, the best stash pocket array of ever. Of course. Of course. You, quarter you've pounder had, pocket. Yeah, two Multiple. quarter two. pound, yeah. Two. 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 What does that equal? So <laughs> the, <laughs> the half pound jacket you can get, and the jacket itself weighs, like, God, 12 pounds. It's a really... Heavy, nice. It's got the faux fur liner. Uh, really nice jacket. You can get it right now at jawfarm.com. And, of course, uh, last shout-out to marysnutritionals.com, uh, elite cannabis family. Um, again, the, they're, they're our most trusted source for CBD. Uh, you're going up to see them today, Adam, right after the show? Back. Yep, going to grab some medicine for our buddy Noah there. 
Absolutely. Uh, you can you can find out more about uh, Elite at EliteCannabis.com. Or again, if you do know anyone who needs CBD, they don't know where to get it near them, they don't know growers, uh, they've heard about it in magazines, they can just buy it at Mary'sNutritionals.com. And with that, let's bring it back to Tim Blake. Tim, uh, we want to thank you for being on the show, man. Uh, it's been a hell of a ride. Uh, we haven't done a single person like long interview like that in a long time, and you certainly... Uh, impressed. The audience has loved it. We've loved every second of it, and we really do appreciate your time uh, when you're so busy, man. Yeah, well, nothing but respect for you guys. I love uh, journalism and media and what you guys are doing with radio. Uh, I know a lot about your background, Adam, and I look forward to meeting you out here and making sure you get that judges pack and uh, seeing what you think for your top 20. Yeah, no, it's gonna, I'm go. looking forward. I'm going to be hanging out with a good group of people, so um, I'm pretty sure we'll, 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 come, we'll, we'll help you chisel a little bit of that knowledge off. But like I said, I'm, yeah. I'm just going to be humbled to be around such good growers. You know, just can't wait. Uh, yeah, so well, we'll get done with the uh, done with the event, and I'll try some of that uh, the top couple with you. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Tim, let's look, let's get you to plug. Uh, where can people get tickets to the event? Are you, you guys are you sold out, or do you still have tickets? Uh, yeah, we have tickets. Uh, you can get them at Eventbrite. Uh, you can go there. You go to our website uh, and get directed to Eventbrite for the links. Uh, you can still get them at the Mighty Quinn in Santa Rosa. Uh, you know, a bunch of uh, stores around Northern California you can find on the website. And uh, we'll have them day of the show uh, for whatever's left. We sold out last year on Saturday. And uh, we look like we'll do the same thing again this year. So uh, tell them to get the tickets and come on down and join us. And we'll have a great time. And people can pick up the book on Amazon again. And that is Cannabis Crusader, Dancing with the Feds. I can't remember the third <laughs> subtitle. You're going to have to tell me what the third subtitle <laughs> The Cannabis Crusader, of course, I, I forgot the first part there when I had it for a minute. Uh, Dancing with the Feds, I mean, sorry, Cannabis Crusader, Dancing with the Feds, a spiritual journey and the one man's uh, lifelong dedication to his medicine. And that is available on Amazon.com. Tim Blake, thank you very much for uh, your time today. And uh, I'm going to now try to figure out how to swing my way on uh, out to the Emerald Cup. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you, Adam. Thanks a lot. Look forward to it, for sure. And you too. Take care. Uh, and it looks like we may have lost video signal, kind of perfect timing. Adam kicked it out. I kicked it out. Adam kicked it out. I don't know if the broadcast is, uh, we're still broadcasting. Cool. Well, perfect timing on that. Got our sponsor shout out in. I don't know, Adam, what do you want to talk about for half an hour, bud? You want to talk about how I should go to Emerald Cup with you? Yeah. Uh, camera's maybe going to come back here since Ryan left for the day. Hey, we're back. Nice, we figured it out. We like, can drive the ship. I was ship. like, what the heck is this cord for? Why no, is it on my it's foot? Stupid cord. Why is a stupid cord on my foot? Oh, uh, that's classic. That's good. But we're back. We're, we're back. back. Uh, I miss that part of the show where Ryan brings us water. Yes, yeah, dirty water from nothing. Ryan's house. Yeah. Um, I don't mean we'll just wrap it up. Okay, we got about what twenty eight minutes. Yeah, we can do yeah, it. We can we can, can, can jibber jabber. You want to do the full three? Okay. We can jibber jabber for a little bit. Um, um, you're psyched now, yeah. Extra psyched. Extra psyched, right? Yeah. yeah. No, because it's like now you see that it's, I mean, he's calm <laughs> considering he's putting together a 20,000 person event. He's got like two days to put it all down. But uh, calm, cool, collective guy. And he's uh, got a good, I mean, it's awesome to see that it's all done from the heart. You know what I mean? That's the key to the whole yeah. t- doing cannabis related events. Not about real events. Real events, you can get, you can go in and money grub and, you know, make 10 bucks on a water and all that kind of vibe. But from when it's cannabis related, it's like you're trying to give. You'll take care of people. To, you're going, yeah. And you know, some of these people just aren't socialites. They're, 
idea of being social is when their trim crew comes around once a, you know every two months you know what i mean and that's about the only people that they hang out and right. deal with and there's other people who are you know at every single event and you know gonna so it'll be a little bit of a combination of the two because it's definitely not like yeah, it brings out both worlds that's really what i love about it yeah and uh and also, it's bringing together people that I know who don't normally come to a lot of the events because they're they're too big, and this one's a big event too. But it sounds like they got a good VIP area, which I, another good reason to go for me. I'm sure. like, hell yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like the sound. <laughs> hey, give me that. Throw that crab down. That sounds yeah. good. <laughs> how much? How many pounds of crab? I'll be bringing back. I'll just throw my bag. Yeah, you got a cooler? Yeah. There we go. <laughs> no, but it's. Uh, <laughs> I didn't bring any weed back. I brought all the crab back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah. pressed the weed into rosin and rolled it into the crab. Traded it for crab. <laughs> Traded it up for crab meat. No, it'll be. And also the organic food side. That's, that sounds just Yeah, I'm excited, phenomenal man. Phenomenal for me. I'm like, great. I get to eat good food. Anything you want. Yes, yeah, not and, the same well, falafels three days in a row. Exactly. I was like, oh, I've got to get the same. Because, you know, by the third day, you do know the whole menu pretty well mm-hmm. on most of those things. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that sounds awesome. And then I can't wait to read the book, too. Because yeah. that's going to be interesting, too, because it's going to be, you know, that story was pretty crazy. I mean, that won't be in the book. That's, nope. in the, that's the beginning of the next book, so I've even got the inside scoop. Yeah, that's a good preview. On how the ending is going to be where it's feel maybe it'll be like, it'll be nice to see if it actually really does end where. Right where that begins. You're like, yeah. oh, man, don't go in. No, don't. Mike. That's the guy, Mike. Shh, no. Don't do it. No, don't talk to Mike. No. <laughs> don't talk to that guy. Uh, but that shows you the, the, the contrast of where we were just a short time ago and where we are now. And then, you know, and it's like here with, with uh, not having banking and people running around with hundreds of thousands of dollars in their car and having to, like, you know, be strapped or, or you know. Yeah, they, but that's nothing like Mike. No, no, I'm just saying, yeah. but they're they're trying to keep us there, right? Sure. They're making it really, like, almost worse because now you have a store that you're, like, going to walk out of, you know what I mean? Whereas back in the day, you were pretty much, like, you should just never talk to Mike in the first place. That was probably the, the right. best bet there, you know? Because that's what I tell people. I'm like, you know, the, the reality is a lot of times when it comes to, like, dealing with people in that level, you know, gangsters or whatever, it's like it's not a, never a good thing, you know, because it's not – the only good thing that's – I mean, you think it's good if they like you. That's not good because what happens when they don't like you, you know what I mean? They, the minute that they're not liking you is when it all goes wrong. And it sounds like he was getting set up for – years you know or over a year the long con and that's yeah, that's like crazy stuff that's like that's psychopath stuff so that if there's a little bit of that winged in there with some of his uh other aliens aliens we didn't even really we talked a little bit we said ufos i didn't even say aliens well he said he's been dealing with transcendental meditation for ufos right it's uh i'm sure it's a wild ride interesting and 317 pages is, like, not something that... We had to shorten it down. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, but obviously detailed story. You yeah, know? yeah. So, so how was the, how was the uh, chat room on that? I noticed they were going off on t- weird tangents about uh, getting t- caught up in storms and stuff. I was like, what is going on? Like, everybody's talking about the storms. No, they the liked it. They yeah. they definitely loved it. Uh, two people messaged me on Facebook saying it's a great show. So That's... That's all that matters. Yeah. Two people said. Well, usually zero people message me on Facebook during the show to tell me the show's great. Oh, so that's good. No, and I, I mean, I dig it because I like all the, like, you know, I like to hear other people's crazy stories because I know my own. Mine are weird, but can you? Why? Well, that's a great way to kill some time. What? Me tell a story? Crazy story. I don't know though. What do you want to hear? Do you have anything that crazy? Oh no. Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, not not that crazy though. But whoa, it was almost my reason for leaving Holland at one point. Like I think it was like in 1999 or something like that. I had this kid hanging out at the shop, and he was a Suriname kid, a little black kid. But 
he he was like one of those people you felt sorry for because he had like he just had like that real he was real quiet he came in hung out a little bit smoked weed with us he had a huge scar on his face like i mean like kind of like hey uh hey nice kid what's up with the gigantic yeah. scar how'd you get in a situation that involved a scar like that huge and you know he kind of put told us some story when he was young and it didn't sound too crazy or whatever but he was he was around for maybe six months we saw him and, and then so like out of the blue one day asked me for some hash if i got hash and i'm like nah, don't don't do that you know what i mean it's not my thing and of course i had a friend of mine came in he's just like literally back from india for a week so he's ready to slang and he's just mr you know mr international Who needs hash? you know hash. he's like oh don't worry I got the perfect, I got a place, you know, and the thing about Holland is, you know, hash is like a, it's such an interesting market because there's so much like bullshit, crappy hash getting moved through Holland, you know, they bring it and reprocess it and turn it into something else and export a bunch of garbage. And, uh, so he knew one of these, uh, sort of houses where you go, it wasn't even, it was like a little business. It was, it's classic because it's like uh, still there, so I can't really give too many details. Sure. But it was like a business that was running as a business. And, Normal business of yeah, yeah, but once you knew, you were like, oh, well, that makes a lot of more sense. Because right? <laughs> I was always wondering, like, it just looks, it looks nice, but not really. No one's ever really there, but then kind of. And But anyway, so went there, and he uh, picked up product for these guys. And... You know, we originally told the kid it was just him to come and, you know, nobody else just because we knew this kid. And so like, well, that's it. Kind of rules were set. And, of course, they had nowhere to bring it. So I was like, nowhere to, to exchange. So I was like, he had just moved back from India, didn't want to do it in a hotel. Right. Da, 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 da. So I was like, oh, you know, classic bad move. Like, oh, you can use my house. Yeah. yeah, it's a great idea. Right. And I lived in a pretty nice house at that time. And it was one of those things where it was like uh, it was like the weird, like old gothic-y looking building, and I lived in the top part with a little fucking tier. You know, it's like yeah. literally the top. You had to go all the way up the fucking tiny stairs to get to the top. So he pulls up, he knocks on the door. You know, classic Dutch style, where you, if you let him in, it's like you got to pull a rope, and then it opens the door downstairs. You know, and it's like even in the nicest houses, you got this little rope thing. So I open the door, and then I hear like two sets of footsteps. You know, so I'm like, hey, hey. I just said for you to come, right? And it was like right at that moment, everything started to kind of unravel in my, in my, like in front of me. And it was just like slow motion. Everything was like, oh, are you fucking kidding me? Another guy comes up and he goes, no, no, I, I got the money, right? And he shows me like a stack of 500 notes. And they're purple. And they don't look right, you know what I mean? Right away, I'm just like, the fuck is that? You know what I mean? Like, so it's a bunch of counterfeit money. Yeah. And... Then he pulls out an Uzi. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, he pulls out. The f so he's like, gets close enough to my door where I'm like leaning out the door, showing me the money, showing me the money. And he gets like within like push, like distance enough that I'm like already like, holy fuck. Like when I couldn't, couldn't shut the door, wouldn't matter anyway, because he's inside my hallway. Right. There's nobody else living in the building that would have been able to do anything. And so... I'm like, but I don't know, maybe the guns are not real or not, but right. who goes? When you see a fake, fake gun, whatever gun, and a guy ready to fucking, with some counterfeit money, you're pretty much like, all right, this is not good. So my friend from India, who before 
The dude's from India, or he no, just came no, from he, came No, from he's India. from East Coast somewhere. He's got dreads, you know what I mean? He's classic. He just came back from smoking like five billion chillums in mm. fucking India. Yeah. And getting all the diseases. Ten the minutes Ganges. before he, this guy shows up, he says to me, now this better not be a fucking setup. Not to me, but like these guys just, yeah. in general. If these guys try to rob us, I'm gonna fucking I'm gonna go. He's doing karate kicks in the fucking you know like in the living in the living <laughs> the room, showing me all these moves he's gonna do. You know, like and I'm like, okay, what else? Don't worry, it's not gonna happen. You know, of course, naive naive me is like, don't worry, it's not gonna happen. No guns or nothing to be pulled. So the minute that the Uzi comes out, another gun comes out too, and then but the minute that the Uzi came out, he fucking is like on the floor and he doesn't even get asked to put on the floor um, no karate I, kicks no karate kicks <laughs> I look over he's on the ground already yeah. looking at me like I'm like what are you do something right and I'm like the fuck am I gonna do he's and the guy's like alright where's all the money and I'm like the fuck you talking about dude i have all the hash you gotta have the money it was one of those classics where like and i had a house which was really nice but i didn't have much going on there because i was just like i had like a decent couch okay size you know nothing crazy nothing no sure. like not a lot of electronics not a lot of gold sitting around no it wasn't yeah. like like showered in gold or nothing and i had like uh, my bed upstairs and a few things and i wasn't growing at the time because i just moved into this place i was like planning my grow that i was going to try to do which i never did there but in general uh they looked around. It was kind of like there was some furniture that was left there from the people, too. So it was kind of like this really fucking trashy looking. I don't know. It just looked weird. And the guys were like, where's all the money? Where's all the money? And I'm like, I, dude, I got no money. And they took all the hash, obviously. Obviously. And he fucking put the gun on in my face and made me lay down. Lay down on the ground and count to fucking whatever. Some bullshit. You know what I mean? And uh, it was like they just took off, right? So they took off. And we could see them. We got up right away. But they were already like our stairs are super steep so they can pretty much jump down the stairs mm. they got in their car drove, took off in a mercedes and we saw them like taking off and so it's so, like then of course my friends all you know instant ninja yeah. would ah, i would have done this and i would have done that uh-huh. but it was like total ptsd kind of situation for me too because i didn't think about it when it was all going down i did i mean i was scared but i wasn't as scared as he was because he was already scared before the fucking thing like i was scared and i kind of was thinking that it might be fake guns and it seemed all weird to me and bizarre but the next day, I fucking was like, I got, I got, I got, I got. oh my god, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't even like think. I was like, my brain was just like, you could have died, you know. And it was could have been fake, who knows? But then I put the word out because I knew the Suriname, I knew a Suriname uh, bouncer who was pretty much like knew everybody, you know. Sure, not a small. huge Suriname Dutch community. Right? It is huge. It's a huge, huge? but it, huge. But, Don, but I mean, small you know, city. It's small city. Yeah, huge for for like the number. sure huge percentage. Yeah, yeah. So and they and they committed a lot of crimes and they carried a lot of guns and they had so right away he put the word out. He found out that there were some kids trying to sell some hash um, at a bunch of different shops for like a buck a gram and it was like you know three fifty a gram normally or something like that. So. Yeah. Um, and I was like one step behind him every fucking time. Like I was trying to find, I was like, oh, where the fuck did they really, you know? And then they would kind of come and, and I was like, then I realized. Wait, what would you have done if you caught them? Exactly. Then I was like, well, now wait a minute. If I find them, now I'm going to get even I'll probably hurt. still have a gun. <laughs> and, and then it turns out they ended up getting busted. Um, not with my hash or with the hash necessarily. They were in a dispenser. Well, not a dispenser, yeah, a coffee shop. Coffee shop that when the cops came there, there was a loaded f- weapon behind the bar and then on a couple people there. And that's like, you know, in Holland, 
weapons guns are, are not way, okay way, uh, yeah no you, know, you can't get a license for a gun. you can get a hunting license and you could like like go out of town and go hunting and all that kind of stuff but you can't get a handgun you can't have a handgun no and even firearms you don't see them very often. I think they have to lock them up somewhere and, and you can go to the firing range and fire them there and you can't you know you can't take them home that type of thing so it was definitely like I was like and then the crazy part though is that you know, it just instantly showed you the dark side of where you lived. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, I didn't. that's when I wanted to move to Canada. I was like technically thinking like, hmm, maybe I should move to Vancouver and start up over there. It seems like that's going to be the next big legal place because it seemed like that moment around 99, I think it was around 99 that happened. And then that was like kind of like Canada was on the edge of, of being more legal than than. Well, definitely more than America. America sure, wasn't even point, yeah. on, well, America was only in California medical, and there was still like it ain't gonna last type vibe. It's only been happening for five years, and people weren't taking it seriously in places like here and a lot of other places. They were just like watching Cali, not really go anywhere. You know what I mean? Just yeah. gonna stay like dudes on the fucking Venice. open up, get shut down. Yeah, Venice like Boardwalk, a, dressed up in green sign, suits yeah, with signs sign. and stuff, like all that, like that look. But it definitely showed me like, ooh, this town could be really evil and everything's connected and you just sort of, once you uncover the veil of that kind of weirdness, yeah. it scared the, the fuck out of me. I mean, move out of that house because I just felt like now that house is going to be like turned into like, oh, go break into this dude's house. You know, that kind of, because once they, once they know where you live and, and who you are and who you are, what you're doing, oh, this guy's going to have, we, we stole about 20 pounds of hash from him. So we'll have good chance. He'll have more. You know what I mean, that type mm-hmm. of thing. I was like, I got to move. And I ended up having to pay all that money back to those people. It was fucking nightmare. Sucks. Sucks. My ending, the guy no from insurance. Didn't, didn't do nothing. No, didn't do dick. He jumped on the ground and cried like a baby. And Wait, fucking, wasn't it his hash? No, it was nobody's hash because he got it from the place. From India. No, he got it from the shop. Oh, from the he shop, got it from the place. Right. It wasn't from a shop shop. It was from a, you know. From the mixer, yeah. From the dude. And then that guy, you know, hooked hooked him up. Is that, oh, is that dude like a scary guy? Who do you mean scary guy? The guy, not the the guy who he owed the money to. Well, yeah, classic Dutch gangster style where it was kind of like, he's you a know, butcher. I had to sit down with the guy. No, I wasn't a butcher, but I had to sit down with the guy a bunch of times and explain the situation. Yeah, we got robbed. And it wasn't like they were going to come out and help me out when I got robbed. Like, oh, yeah, we got a guy. I'll come in. Nothing. None yeah. of that. It was just like, oh, good. Well, we will knock off the uh, 10 cents that I would have made. You know what I mean? It's like, great. So I got to pay 20,000, you know, fucking euros or whatever it was. And I was just like, Ugh. so it was the classic. It was a good, a classic learning lesson from my part. Don't ever help, you know, try to like to help people out like that when, <laughs> when, when you think. And I would have made like five grand. That was like the whole deal. I was yeah. like, okay. I was, all I got to do is put up for my house. All I have to do is just let people come to my house yeah. and. And it's all going to be great. It's kind of like uh, Pulp and, Fiction. And it doesn't go, it didn't go right. Yeah. And guns got drawn. And that was the only time I really got robbed like that with guns and stuff. And it wasn't, you know, wasn't fun. But in the end, nobody really got hurt. Uh, except that's weird. I, I heard it was fun. I and mean, it's so weird that you said it wasn't fun. I know. You'd think it'd yeah. be fun. But yeah. no, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, it's not a good feeling. And it's also one of the sides of the. And that's what we hope this whole industry kind of ev- goes away from. And, you know, you don't hear. You don't you don't have uh, that side to worry about as much. You just have to worry about your driving skills and whatever else. You know what I mean to get from point A to point B. Yes, sir. All right, we're two forty eight. Two forty eight sounds good. Like when, any other Shut little stories for you? You get robbed? You ever get robbed? I've never. Got, I got. I've gotten burgled. Burglar. Burgled. burgled. Oh, the hamburger came and bro, took your burgers. Like what? mystery. Don't understand how anyone got in that. Don't know who it Where, was. Here? No, in, in New Jersey. Oh, in Jersey. Oh, that happens all the time, right? You have cat burglars there. Guys ride around with like little 
masks on. <laughs> exactly. And bags, yeah. a little bag and a they mask. Have a bag and a striped shirt. Striped shirt. That's you gotta we gotta watch out for them. No, yeah. dude. I mean I have my theories, but someone I don't know. Would you live in an apartment or a house? House. My parents' house. Oh, see dude. a house. You can, my parents' house. Everyone leaves sliding doors open and stuff. Nuh-uh. No. We went away on vacation. Oh, well, then that's it. You got to go back. Everything burglar, was locked. Burglarized. Nothing was disturbed. Everything mm-hmm. was just missing when we got back. It was real weird. It was real weird. But, uh, you know, yeah. Jersey style. Jersey style. Inside job, what'd for they sure. What'd they take? Weed? Money? Weed and things. Weed and things. And money. Weed and money. How much money? I, think so. oh. uh, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. It was my no. It was it was like uh, after slang and dollars. It was like a dollar ball rolled up dollar bills. That no, were it was like, a cigar box full of money, of course, <laughs> <laughs> of course, yeah. cigars. Yeah, it wasn't quite a shoe box though. That's what I'm saying. It was early on, and they no. weren't they weren't and they weren't banded tight. No, no, they were just loose. A loose. No, they were packed in there. It was packed? a bunch of money. Wow, yeah. bam! You were slanging it. <laughs> and a hockey puck of opium. What's that? Opium. Yeah. Jesus Christ. What? That's crazy. Crazy. That's what happens then. You get burglarized by like little Iranian dudes. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it must have been. It must have been. We have our theories. Really? Yes. You have your theories. Well, that sucks. See, the thing is, I think I've probably been robbed a bunch of times just never noticed it because yeah. I have a bunch of crap. Here's one. It. Incredible. Someone had broken into the warehouse, obviously snooped around, didn't take anything, but opened a file cabinet and took a just file? a file cabinet and yeah. there's a jar of weed. In the cabinet. They clearly looked all over the place. Jesus. Took a, jar weed disappeared, but then we figured it out, figured out it was a break-in, but they broke in and only took a jar of weed, and you wouldn't know That's unless really you went ridiculous. to smoke that jar. Yeah. And you're like, huh, and you never know. Yeah. Did you see the guy who had the girl living in this place and he never knew about it? No. Those things aren't real, are there they? There was one real one. It was pretty dope, and the guy couldn't figure it out because he kept missing food and stuff, and... and then she, like, came crawling out of the fucking attic thing, and it was like they had it all in video. Total tweaker. Totally, yeah, of course. And she was like living in his attic. It's like that scary, some scary shit. Like every night when he went to bed, she'd go in and go into his fucking fridge and take out food and stuff. It was like, what? That's scary. Then there was a fake one in that Walmart thing. Yeah, the Walmart one. That one I saw, yeah. yeah. Good photos. Yeah. But terrible story. Like it was like, what? No way. And then you read it and you're like, they have, they don't even have an attic. Like those places are just straight to the ceiling. (laughs) Yeah. All right, do the shouts. Shouts. Shout-outs. Okay, we only got two of us. Well, let's do shout-outs for the kid. Shout-out to his mom. Mom. (laughs) Shout-out to... Britt. Britt. Dogs. dogs. Uh, Uh, Everybody down at Dark Horse. Yeah. Tanner. Yeah. Colin. And Yerba Mate. Shout-out to Yerba Mate. Yeah, and... uh, And, uh, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Shout-out to Always Sunny. Sony, exactly. You got it. You covered it. That's it. You covered to, it all. Uh, That's pretty much it. Cheese steak. Yeah, I think uh, you got that. One. Heavy metal and white reggae. Well, like sort of metal ish. Did he do metal? I didn't even know that. Yeah, he does. Remember we did the music episode and it was all upon a burning body. Yeah, but that's not metal. Well, it's that kind of metal. Okay. Not not what we can see. Kid style. Yeah, kitty metal. Uh good. Uh, shout out to my beautiful wife who's down in Boulder with little Nick and hanging out with Mitra right now. So nice. Gonna go pick them up and uh, shout out to Ace down at the farm. Shout out to Anthony down at the farm helping out. Uh, Charo, all the guys helping out with down there, building up some walls, making some things a little bit more airtight and a little bit more winterproofed. Um, what else? Shout out to uh, all my homies out there in Rhode Island who listen. I know uh, at the Tetrahydro Club, which is getting in the papers every week now for building code violations nice. and bullshit that they try to hit him up with. Oh, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. 
Um, but I've shout out to those guys for Tim and everybody. Shout out to Mr. Wallace also, Pumpkin Master. Yeah, Pumpkin Master. Ron hope, hopefully he's listening to our show more often now because yeah. uh, my other friend's been working with him a little bit, just trying to like help him out, you know, give him some pointers. And uh, I think he's going to make the step. I think he's going to help out a guy grow his 12 legal plants and do it all, you know. And 12 giant weed plants? Well, he's. I told him if he could do a 10-pound indoor plant, we would definitely hold a record, I think, at that point. 10-pound oh, yeah. flowered. Uh, yeah. Dry weight plant indoors. I've seen claims. Ten pound one plant indoors. Yeah, well, you have no, outdoors. To I've seen for sure, but I think ten pounds is a good number. One to set. plant. I mean, if you, do, you, if do you could do one pound, if you could do one plant, ten pounds under one light. Or no, no, there's no, no light no, limitation. No. You can't do that. I have to say ten lights, you know, or something like that, because you're you're going to lose so much per right. light. You're not going to get a gram per watt on one plant because it's just can't get it you know what i mean it's gonna be almost impossible what if you grew like a 75 pound outdoor plant that would be awesome that would be cooler yeah. right that would be even cooler of course anything <laughs> <laughs> bigger is cooler yeah bigger is bigger cooler, is cooler. but indoors i mean they'd just be a good test ground for them to test their theory because they have some great soil uh you know of course he's like my friend's been seen he's seen the binder dude he said the binders it's ridiculous he's got the recipe he's got 300 million like wow. micro recipes that are just he's like ah oh, he's got it all it's in there so shout out to you guys hopefully we'll uh Cross paths in the giant pumpkin world too. Yeah, boom. Uh, of course, shout out to my beautiful wife Reese and little Farron who are sitting out in the parking lot. I can't see them, but they're waiting to pick me up. They're out in the parking lot. Apparently, nice. I got a text message saying they're here. They're here. They're here. Uh, and shout out to uh, Chat Gang. A lot of all the Jersey guys in Chat Gang. Hey guys, Jersey guy Chat Gang. Yeah, Jersey guy Chat Gang. We're, <laughs> we're huge on the East Coast. Really. Nice, oh, nice boy. one, sir. Oh boy. Oh boy. Emerald oh, Cup. Boy. Shout out to Emerald Cup. Yes. Uh, I'm probably not going to make it really, but no, it would be nice. It and would be. I mean, now we got mega show too. Two shows in a row. Mega shows. I need you. I need many, you. I know it's going to be fucking awesome. I need you. I know. We'll Just figure it out. And there's no DC for you either. Oh, uh, we'll figure it out. Man. All right. Uh, we will catch you guys. Same bat time. Happy same Hanukkah, bat to Mitch from next week. Mike. Thanks. Happy Hanukkah. <laughs> uh, someone asked if we're doing a Christmas special. I wish we could. I'm not going to be here. Adam probably will. I'll Maybe we'll both put on sweaters and jump on Skype or something. Could do ugly sweater night or something like that. So yeah. We'll do something. Yeah. Uh, when are you leaving? Uh, You'll be gone early before. I'm leaving Christmas Eve, actually. What day is our show? Show. That's a question. There's a major question because it wouldn't matter. If oh, it's a- our show is... Oh, wait, Christmas. The day before Christmas Eve. So we'll do a Christmas episode, but we won't do anything. They were asking if we were doing like a Halloween oh, special. On the day. No, we can't thing. do the day of because we're not going to be at the same place. Yeah. It will just never work. But, but we'll definitely do that 30th, uh, 30, the 30th nope, show. Nope, 23rd. No, well, oh, then we'll do the 30th. Yeah, sorry, 23rd. Yeah. Sorry, 23rd. Yep. All right, guys. We'll catch you next week. I don't know how to play the music, but I will end the broadcast. Uh, of Whoa. course, 111 of you have joined the uh, Facebook group. Keep joining it. Keep joining. Uh, and for people who have friends who are asking about the podcast, obviously, if you only listen on podcasts, you're not hearing this. But if you have homies who have been asking, I have been working with a developer. By January, that shit will all be automated. All the podcasts will be up to date, and the new ones will be automatically getting up there and posted. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Uh, have a good one. Peace.